Good evening, everyone. Dave here, live from the shed. Just a couple minutes late getting started. Had some technical difficulties, so sorry about that. But we are good to go. So as you guys know, tonight I have Tom Marazzo on the show. Uh, really interesting man. Really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, he served for a number of years in the military. And then upon his retirement, he did a degree in um, uh, software design. Uh, taught at Georgian College until he was eventually fired from there due to speaking out against uh, mandates. And then went on to join the Freedom Convoy. Was uh, Many of you would have seen him with different press releases and was a very uh, vocal spokesperson for the Freedom Convoy. And uh, most recently, he's on the steering committee for Veterans for Freedom, which is a group I have been following quite closely, was a part of organizing Rolling Thunder, and have served as uh, security and support for a, a number of freedom events in Ontario and uh, are a quickly growing organization. Their next big event will be the arrival of James Top in Ottawa, which I know so many of you are really looking forward to, myself included. I'm going to be in Ottawa filming that event, the arrival of James Top, and we're going to hear a bit about that from him. And then he is also uh, running as a candidate for the Ontario party in uh, tomorrow's election. Tomorrow is the Ontario election day. So if you guys don't already plan on voting, encourage you guys to get out and vote tomorrow. Um, just as a disclaimer, there there is a, a political blackout that occurs following the provincial election for um, campaign advertising. Uh, to be clear, um, uh, Thomas is not paying me uh to to do this I, I wish he was that would be great but uh there's there's no uh there's no payment here there's not a political advertisement uh just an interview and a discussion to make that clear for the poli the political rules uh, as he is a candidate uh, with the ontario party in tomorrow's election so just wanted to point that out and uh, we're good to go here now so we're gonna jump right into things good evening tom hey how's it going dave Good. We managed good, to uh, figure out the technical difficulties there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, it is what it is, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I wish it was better. I wish it no, was better. No, you, you look great. Um, yeah, thanks for joining me tonight. Really looking forward to uh, catching up. It, it'll be interesting talking yeah. this whole adventure through, especially when we get to Convoy, because um, our... Yeah. Our paths never really directly crossed in Ottawa, though we were working with a lot of the same uh, people. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I mean, I probably ended up uh, doing things that uh, that came down from you at some point. And uh, but it was uh, quite quite the adventure, as, as people know, and um, got yeah. to meet you at a few different yeah. events and looking forward to yeah. this chat. So yeah. uh, I want to we, we talked about yeah. we talked about like finally, I think we met in person at the Veterans for Freedom dinner. And yeah, I think that goodness. was the first time <laughs> that we yeah, actually. Yeah, got... and, and and it was right after your interview that I had seen with uh, our friend Martin from Ottawa that was all over the CBC and uh, that yes, guy. Our, our good friend, your your friend and mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Well, I'd love to hear for for starters um, just about your your military experience. I was reading that uh, you joined the reserves at a pretty young age, and 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 tell us about that experience. So uh, I, I, I joined the reserves in 1990. Uh, I was 16 years old, uh, but I was in my 17th year. So technically I was eligible to join the military because I, you know, I turned 17 a few months later. Um, 
And I actually joined the infantry as a non-commissioned member. Obviously, I'm 16 years old, so I, I wasn't eligible to be commissioned as a high schooler. But um, I did it because I actually wanted to be a pilot. Uh, and I wanted to see what military would be like and uh, or what that life would be like. And um, so I, I continued in the military all throughout the rest of high school and uh, into college uh, in the early to, to the end of the 90s. And um, in 1997, I think I graduated college at Niagara College in, in Welland. And then I, a year later, enrolled into the regular force as a, um, I, I took my commission as a combat engineer officer. And uh, what's interesting is actually in 1996, I did a course called uh, an assault pioneer. And it was one of two times that it was ever offered to the reserves. And uh, James Topp. Actually, uh, I lived in a James. That's where I first met James Top. Was in 1996 in Meaford on our Assault Pioneer course, okay. and uh, he, yeah. So he's he's the first person I ever used C4 with. Um, so we lived <laughs> like in a, we lived in a tent yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We lived in a tent together for six weeks in uh, in Meaford, um, and that's where I first met him. And of course, we, you know, it's the military, so you you lose touch with your your friends, people that you bond with, but. You know, you see them a decade later and it's like just like somebody you've talked to for you know last week. So that's pretty yeah. typical all across the country, all throughout every military in the world. What is so, a, a, a combat engineer, to be clear? So a combat engineer is uh, their their secondary role is to actually fight as infantry. And uh, but primarily engineers, their responsibility is to shape the, the battlefield. Uh, for the infantry, for the armored, the guys in the tanks and stuff. Um, but, you know, combat engineers pre, uh, primarily deal with obstacles like landmines or minefields, clearing minefields, uh, you know, route denial of the enemy, but also opening up a route for your forces. Um, like the engineers are a, combat engineers is a, is a, a massive uh, trade. You know, we have combat divers in the engineers. We have um, uh, EOD guys that are in the engineers. And then, you know, your secondary duty is you always have to know how to fight as as infantry. And as the joke goes, hopefully you don't die as infantry. Um, and I mean, if you if the engineers have to start fighting as infantry, then you know that the, the infantry have had a really bad day uh, when we have to come in as like a, a reserve um for, for the infantry guys, but it is really, uh, the engineers really have to understand the tactical level and the logistics that are involved in the entire, uh, battle planning or mission planning, because we support the maneuver plan of the infantry or the armored guys. So we have to understand how they want to do their, their battle so that we can support the effort that they want. So for example, you know, we shape the battlefield for them. Like, let's say we want to do a big giant kill zone. Uh, against the enemy it's the engineers that are going to do the obstacle plan to try to funnel the enemy in there for you know the the armor guys and the tanks and the infantry to go and clean all that 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 mess right um we do um counter ied stuff we like the the trade is absolutely monstrous and every year you try to qualify on you know or or requalify on all your basic skills but the engineers is just too big so you you end up having to only be able to pick a piece of it and focus on that. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we have uh, many members of the combat engineers that go on to special operations or they they 
you know, focus really heavily on diving or, um, you know, I, I know guys that were airborne pathfinders that came out of the engineers and guys that have gone on to, to Seesaw or Dwyer Hill or Sea Gyro. A lot of guys go to Sea Gyro, actually. It's the um, special operations unit for uh, chemical, biological, nuclear warfare. Um, so it's a, it's a, honestly, it's a massive trade. Covers a lot. And it, so it's, it's infantry, but, but specialized with, with different abilities that all. Infantry all is one this. of our roles. Yeah. One of yeah. our roles is infantry. If, if we, um, if the infantry are having a bad day, <laughs> it becomes our, cause you're on the battlefield, right? You're right there literally mm -hmm. on the battlefield with, with the, uh, the rest of the combat arms. Cause there's four combat arms trades in the Canadian army. It's infantry, armor, artillery, and engineers. And then you ended up uh, rising to the the role of, of captain. And I, I personally yep. am not familiar with all the different ranks. And uh, what does that look like? What did that mean for your uh, role as captain? Well, you know, like you're when you're commissioned, you're, um, you know, you're, you're commissioned, you complete all your training. And, you know, in my case, it was... Uh, it was just a matter of time before you'd be promoted to the rank of captain once you had all the qualifications. And um, I had all of my training completed, actually, uh, to be promoted to major. I was actually qualified up to the rank of lieutenant colonel. But what's really awful is if you're an Anglophone in the military and you don't get course loaded on a French course, like if you don't get a second language profile, the uh, it, it is devastating to your career if you don't ever get those so it's really hard to get promoted if you don't get on a french course um mm. i i i didn't try like i didn't i tried every year every year i tried to get on to french language training but uh it just never happened um whatever it, it doesn't matter uh yeah. when i my last two years i actually rolled over uh to the air force side of of what i was doing very similar role to what i was doing in the army but i went over and I actually made the promotion list, but uh, I was injured and I was on a temporary and then a permanent medical category. So I was prevented from actually being promoted because of my injury. And um, so anyway, that's the year I retired anyway, so I didn't really care. Uh, and it was only like an extra $2,000 a, a year to me anyway, so <laughs> with a, a hell of a lot more headaches. So yeah. it didn't bother me, didn't bother and me. And where all did you end up? Uh, so how many years in total were, were you in the military? Uh, so in my reserve time, I did eight and a half and the rest was regular force. So uh, a total of 25, uh, 18, almost regular force. And even in my reserve time, I had like a year. No, sorry. I had two years worth of uh, full-time employment with, with the military. So, um, you know, I, I ended up retiring with just under a 20-year pension with all my combined, right? And then you got to buy it back and there's all sorts of formulas, but um, yeah, like it's, it's, um, you know, it, 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 it was very diverse in, in a lot of the jobs that I had done. Like I had done, I started off infantry, then I commissioned, posted to Petawawa, posted to, um, you know, I, I've done three provinces in my, in my regular force career in 12 different cities in 24 years. Um, so, so it's a lot, like I was posted to a lot of different places. And what do you think? I'm always curious with people in the military. What do you think drew you, uh, into that? You know, you're, you're obviously a capable leader and, 
Uh, some people would say, oh, well, in, in military, you're just you're bossed around. You don't have much time to, uh, you know, take leadership or. Uh, but yeah. what do you think drew you into that uh, that lifestyle? Well, in, in truth, I, I wanted to be a pilot, but I failed the eye exam when I joined the regular force. Um, and, and years later, I changed the eye requirement and I went back and I actually passed air crew selection to become a pilot. But on, when they did the eye exam the second time, like 13 years later, the doctor said, I hate to tell you, buddy, but you've got 20-20 vision. <laughs> I was like, you're telling me I've been doing this ground pounding stuff for all these years <laughs> uh, and I could have been in an aircraft. Uh, anyway, at, at the end of the day, really, I, I, I was drawn to the military. I don't know. Like, I hate mushrooms and I hate onions, but some people love them. Who knows why? It's just a calling. It, it literally mm -hmm. is just a calling, right? Um so, you know, I, I just thought that that's where I belonged in, in the world. And, you know, to, to talk about leadership, like we, as an officer in the military, you kind of obsess about, about leadership, right? And, and we get, um, we get a lot of great examples in the military of great leadership. And we also get the opposite of, of bad leadership sometimes. And you just hope that you're never the one given the bad leadership. Um, so you know, you, you learn leadership there. And I, I don't really know, I have never decided on where I come down to are leaders born or are they created? Uh, I think it's a combination of both perfectly honest with you. I think, you know, people have, or become a, uh, a diamond in the rough and hopefully through mentorship and great examples that you, you can get the experience to become a great leader. And, um, you know, it be, being a great leader, in, in my view, this I've always viewed leadership is that leaders are not the ones who have the most followers. I think they're the ones that develop the most leaders uh, mm. because in the military, this is a thing that people don't understand about the Canadian military. We're too small. We are literally the, the entire combined regular force army, Navy air is about the same size as the New York city police department. And, and, so we always, the Canadian army has always punched, the Canadian military has always punched way beyond, beyond its weight. And the reason is this, like we cannot be specialized where it's like, okay, your job, you're just going to be a driver or you're going to be a cook or you're going to be this. We are too small that we must be, we must have skills in every, in every facet. Like even in my case, I had, you know, in, when I was in the infantry as a reservist, I was a reconnaissance, I'd spent five years in a reconnaissance platoon. Um, you know, I was an assault pioneer, which me meant I did all the explosives. I was, every regular infantry guy knows how to use all of the machine guns, like had the heavy weapons, grenades. Like we're not, we don't specialize very, very well. We do, we become a jack of all trades because we have to, because there's hmm. not enough of us to go around. And even the youngest guys always have to know the next rank job in case there's a battlefield promotion. You need to be able to step up and do that. So we, we were just too small to specialize. And so as an officer, like I was trained, you know, I did my, my basic parachute. I was a crew commander on an armored vehicle. That's a six week long course I've done. Um, you know, I I've had to do specialized training in terms of professional development, doing undergrad level university courses. Um, I've had to do a, a course called army tactical operations. And prior to that, you had to do the, the prep course. You do all that just to get on to, uh, army operations course, which is a six month long course at the operational planning level. 
And so like people don't understand that the military is a post-secondary institution. Because if you're not in a classroom as a student, you're in the classroom as a teacher. If you're not in the field training, you're uh, you're, you're part of the training uh, team that is getting ready to, for somebody else to go. You're always, 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 always training. And that's what we mm. do. We, we train always. Um, we even have to learn how to teach in the military um, because it is so vital that we can effectively teach each other how to, to do all of these vital skills. So, you know, the skills that we have in the Canadian military are, are so vast. Um, but we also get trained in a way of doing thinking. Um, like we, we actually do a lot of deductive reasoning with the way we plan. We use something called uh, operational planning process, which is, you know, all NATO militaries use OPP. And so does um, Ontario uh, Emergency Management Ontario. We all use this process called the operational planning process. It's a way that you make deductions about the situation you're in in order to create tasks and then plans and all that kind of stuff so you know canada even in afghanistan in every other deployment we've ever been in we've always been a very professional military that is always punched above our weight uh in our special operations unit jtf2 seesaw they're they're top tier uh units right across the world uh and they're they're always heavily sought after uh by our nato allies so and that goes across you know for our Air Force, Navy, and um, the Army. Man, well, it, I mean, it definitely speaks to the training you guys have received. We're going to get into more about Veterans for Freedom, but I've been so impressed with um, the veterans going all the way back to Ottawa and meeting a number of them, um, just jumping right into working together, um, coming up with a plan and, and focusing yeah. on, on the mission. There's an incredible yeah. level a professionalism uh, that I've, I've met with all these guys and it, it definitely speaks well to the training that you obviously receive. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a, that's a big thing. Like we, um, I, I was there roughly about a week uh, before Drew, uh, Drew McGilvery from, from Veterans for Freedom. Um, you know, him and Sammy really and some of the others uh, founding members. And then we've taken on more great people. Um, like, I called Drew. He was the first veteran that I called. And, and I said, listen, Drew, like, I just need somebody that speaks my language. And it, and it's it's a real testament to how that works because I, I literally, I, I called him and he said, okay, I'll be there in two days. But I think he was there literally the next day. <laughs> and I, and I, I was right. planning on meeting him. Yeah, I planned on meeting him in the headquarters where, where I was working. Uh, I, I think I was about two hours late. I walked in, Drew was already working. Like you didn't, I didn't have to tell him. And it was interesting because he was already using uh, the same exact structure that, that we, I was trying to implement. But unfortunately I was working with all civilians that couldn't like, didn't speak my language. Uh, and there's a good guy, a great guy, Jeff, that we worked with and he had a different ex set of experience, great, great skill set, awesome guy. Um, but he wasn't accustomed to this continental system that we, we actually use in the military. Um, but when Drew got there, it was like, okay, I, I need you to do like, you know, G1 to G9 and then yeah. let's go. Um, so that was really, really when, when Drew showed up and then we started to attract other, um, we, we started to attract other military. They just started to gravitate towards us. 
we all had that common operator. We all spoke that language. We just very easily, easily integrated into one another. Um, and, and we're, you know, the Canadian military is all about using your initiative. Like you're not, I, let's say as a commander, the commander just says, here's my intent. This is what I expect to achieve, right? They don't tell you the details on how you're going to do it. You say, this is my intent. And the rest of the people go off and they they stand what needs to be achieved in the mission statement and they go from there and and really quickly um you know i i don't view myself as like this commander of the convoy it's it's nothing like that and i don't mean to imply you know any form of self-importance because that's certainly not the case it's just that we were able to communicate and we just developed a sort of natural uh team you know i i'm not the guy making calls i'm working with a staff of, of great people that can help formulate a course of action and do that and so you know the great part was i i just said to drew i said look these are three priorities for this whole thing and i explained to him why and he's like all right that's all i needed to know and that was it like it's it's that seamless and, and i relied on drew and then the others that drew was starting to bring in that could just fill in all the details right? That's all it is. You give the intent, you give the priority, and then you get phenomenal people like all the veterans and, and not just the veterans. I mean, we were supported by some unbelievably patriotic and phenomenally courageous Canadians that just listened to us and they took their lead from us because they that we built a great relationship and we, we got their trust for them to buy in. But it's all just about understanding how we operate together. And the other big thing I want to say is this. Uh, we don't operate from a place of ego. There, there's no ego on what we do. Ego will get you hurt. It'll get you killed. And so the veterans, when they come in, they realize this is this is mission focused. This is not e ego focused. Nobody wants to be, you know, the the knuckle dragging, chest thumping, you know, uh, pattern there. You you stay mission focused, and if your ego gets in the way, you'll be sorted out immediately. So you don't have that problem with with the army guys. They just understand that, right? And, uh, and they know how to pull their weight too, right? Because I think yeah, that's another yeah. huge component is, yeah. is yeah. you need to, it, certainly yeah. in a battle situation, you need to keep up, you need to pull your weight uh, or you're going to get yeah. everyone hurt. And, yeah. and there's so much that, that uh, you know, I see in the comments, some people talking about, uh, you know, mandatory service. And I, I think yeah. maybe as a younger person, I would have defaulted as Canadians would often do to thinking that sounds like a terrible thing but as i've gotten older and and traveled i spent some time in israel and i yeah. met actually a number of uh young soldiers who were in their their training and there's so much more to to military as you're explaining than war yeah. you know that's that's the last case yes. you know the principle is about uh it's, it's character and it's uh, defending freedom and pr yep. protecting your yep. nation. And in an emergency situation that that ends up playing out into war. But when I was yes. talking to these young people, it was so much more about character development, about patriotism, being a, a good servant to their people. Yes. And, and I, I learned to really appreciate that concept of, of training these young people. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of torn on the issue. I'll be honest with you, because, you know, when I was younger, I was thinking about this only recently because I've I've only been in two debates. Well, technically one and a half debate uh, in this entire campaign because I haven't been invited to any other than the the two. But the very first time I was ever in a debate was in high school, and I had to debate actually a good against a really good friend about uh, mandatory service conscription. Mm. And back then I was like uh, seventeen, eighteen years old. I was in favor of it. 
Um, and I, I'm, I'm just not sure how I feel about it anymore, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and I, I'm not going to say anything that gets you uh, in trouble with YouTube. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm not sure I, how I feel about mandatory uh, service because I certainly, at this point, the, the current state of the Canadian Armed Forces, it, we're seeing the managed decline of the Canadian Armed Forces through all this wokeism that uh, I, I certainly would not uh, support my, my children if they ever asked me about joining the military. I would do everything in my power to stop them from joining right now. Um, I mean, let, let's, let's, you know, when I took my oath, when I took both uh, reserve and regular force, my oath was about, in, in my heart, I, I felt, okay, I'm going to do what I need to do to protect my country from a foreign invader. So I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that because it's going to get into some dicey stuff there. But um, I... I believe in, in, you know, people learn the hardest lessons in life through failure and through discomfort. And the military provides lots of both, right? Uh, you always train to fail uh, and you're always uncomfortable. So, you know, I, there are a lot of benefits to military service. I really do think that. Um, I just don't know that I would ever legislate that kind of a thing. I like the fact, and I'll, and I'll tell you what, I did a course with a Serbian air defense officer in 2007 when I did staff college in Kingston. And, um, you know, he had talked about conscripts. Conscripts were the worst soldiers that they had to deal with because they weren't there because they were motivated for a patriotic reason. They were because their government ordered them there. So they weren't motivated by you know, wanting to defend their country. They were just fulfilling their service and then they're moving on. And so you're not getting the best uh, quality soldiers that you could possibly have gotten. Hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, um, I haven't thought a lot about it, but I, I was more thinking that the concept of just doing some some good training of uh, yeah. civilians, or whether they would go on to partake in, in battle or not. But I, I was impressed seeing these young people in Israel just learning essentially community service. Yes. And I think what people don't realize about some of these mandatory uh, by the nature of everyone doing it it's not yeah. going to be nearly as intense as uh what maybe ours is right now where it's a more specialized training it when yeah. i was meeting these young people it actually looked more like a souped up summer camp kind of thing so yeah. they'd get together yeah. they'd do community service they'd do training they would yeah. learn different skills and yeah. uh, and form you know uh, relationships and um and then obviously learn how to handle a weapon and uh, some yeah. basic skills like yeah. that so anyway beyond the scope of our our, our discussion but uh, certainly obviously you learned a lot from your whole mm -hmm. experience and uh and helped set you up for uh the the man you are now and uh and then after so you retired from military and yep. uh you went on to then do software yep. development uh, t tell us what led you into that so uh like i, I have a very uh difficult time standing for longer than 10 minutes uh, especially in the cold. So my employment limitations based on what I physically could do uh, were a huge factor in, in because of that. And in the, in the fact that, you know, um, Canadians by and large don't understand their military at all. So when I was retiring be, just before I had applied for 70 jobs and I got two interviews and no job offers because we're not a stepping stone into uh, civilian careers like maybe in America or some other countries. So 
I mean, the, the, the chances that you're being interviewed, I think in my entire life, I was only ever interviewed by two people that had ever served in the Canadian military in my entire life. And so the civilian population has no idea what we're about. Everything they know about their military is what they learned on a movie or on TV. So they don't understand, they don't get it. And they don't want to take a chance on trying to figure out how your skills blend in with their company. So it's really actually quite difficult to find employment uh, as a as a military soldier. Like I, I've had staffs of 300 plus, I've managed a $50 million budget. I looked after the infrastructure as an engineer for CFB Borden and uh, Trenton, um, you know, and then at one point I, po I was posted to London, Ontario. I looked after all the infrastructure all the way from Windsor to Hamilton to Niagara, right? And, and people just don't see how that works in their, within their organizations. So anyway, I couldn't get hired. I couldn't get hired anywhere. So I hmm. was eligible for uh, a vocational rehabilitation program and I was looking for something that uh, I do while I was seated. And so, I, and I already had a master's degree in business. Right. And I still couldn't get hired and it was mm -hmm. really difficult. So I said, you know, software is an issue or software is a thing that I'm, I'm somewhat interested in. So why don't I, uh, you know, give that a go. So I went and I did, um, uh, I did a four year degree at Seneca in software development. And I read, and I finished that, like I literally left the military five weeks later, I was sitting beside 17 year olds. Uh, that was now my new peer group. It must have been quite uh, humbling, I'm sure. It, it was it was incredibly humbling, right? Because I kind of <laughs> went in there I'm like, I got a master's degree. I've been to college before, you know, whoopie do. And I'm getting my my butt handed to me by these 17-year-olds that are still living at home with their parents, right? Yeah. Uh very, very humbling. Um, but I, you know, really quickly, like I realized I'm the one who has to change my approach. Like it's not fair to me of me to hold these these uh young men and women to a high standard that they've they've never experienced. They haven't been through that stage in their life and that's you know I, i'm older than some of their parents at that point right and i was older than some of the teachers so you know i, I realized i'm the one who's different in this room and i need to adjust my my perspective and my attitude towards them and i and i'm still in contact with a couple of them now i talked to one of them yesterday uh really great great people um not all of them and not, not all of them liked me either because i couldn't i went ballistic when people would talk in the middle of a class it's like, I, I'm, I'm actually paying to listen to that person, not you. Could you just shut it for a while, please? Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I'm, I'm joking around. Like, yeah, like they, I, yeah, you must have been a scary guy in the class, I imagine. A scary well, old guy. Yeah, I mean, there, there, I'm sure there was a bit of that too, right? Yeah. Because I, I do have a default bitch face that I've been warned about. <laughs> many times. And, um, and, and it's really off-putting. I, I, people don't want to approach me because of this default that I have. Uh, and I've had that that issue for years, so I'm just a, I'm just accustomed to it. So I had yeah. to actually make an effort to make friends, believe it or not. Uh, and obviously, the old people in the class, like me, gravitate gravitated towards each other. Um, but you know, it it, it was a great experience. Uh, you know, I I knew long term though that I actually wanted to become a teacher hmm. uh, because I was very interested in. Uh, I was very interested in research. I was very interested in um, teaching for some reason. And because in, in my military career, that was something that you get to do. And I really actually like it. Um, and so as soon as I did some teaching courses while I was doing the the, uh, the undergrad in, in software. And 
as soon as I graduated from that program, I actually immediately got hired and was teaching at Georgian College. Uh, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was like the best job in the world for me. I absolutely adored teaching it. And, uh, you know, Georgian gave me a lot of great opportunities because as the lockdown happened, I had spent about uh, three months putting all the pieces in place to do a special project with a bunch of students where we were going to build or write all the software and do some hardware building an autonomous vehicle, right? I had literally hmm. come out of a meeting where the very first meeting I had with all the students that I had on my team and Tom's first sort of session on computer vision. And I ran into one of the other faculty who said, yeah, I just came from a meeting and we're, we're, uh, we're locking down on Thursday. And that basically killed that. And then we transitioned to online learning. I had to go to a YouTube channel teaching software, like basically overnight. And, uh, you know, my, I, I'll admit, I worked pretty hard on all my lessons. Um, you can go on there and, and, and look at my stuff. It's, uh, I worked really hard making these lessons. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I would spend 15 hours making a one hour video. Uh, and to this day, if you look on my YouTube channel, there's about, you know, 300 people on it. <laughs> it's like, I got no traction. I mean, clearly I'm not making, you know, making my mortgage payment off of uh, YouTube videos. Um, mm -hmm. It's software. I mean, I'm a guy teaching software to guys, right? That's just the way it goes. It doesn't go viral. No, it doesn't go viral. <laughs> Say the least. Do other, you have to do other things to go viral that I'm sure somebody on here is going to notice in a minute and <laughs> hammer me on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but so, you obviously, you, you, yeah. So you were all excited to, to get into this, to do, do your yeah. teaching thing. And then it, it yeah. was all, you never really got to do much of it before yeah. the, uh, yeah. <laughs> everything shut down. Uh, yeah. before we continue with that, I want to acknowledge a couple of super chats, uh, Tara, I did, uh, see yours there and uh, she's got a question, uh, for you just back to the military subject. Yeah. So, um, Tara says, uh, she lives in Barry area and she thought you lived here, Tom. Uh, as a vet, can you share what you thought about the spy plane report and then learning it was actually not ours? Uh, was, I'm not sure what O slash O means, by the U.S. Thank you for giving the fringe hope. Um, were, you, were you following that, of, of that spy plane? I'd seen some bit about it. I didn't look into it a lot myself. Is 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 this the one that was flying over, uh, over Ottawa? Ottawa and, and when, then yeah, that got reported? Yeah, and they weren't uh, supposed to be doing such things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've got a comment, which I I thought was really interesting about that when uh, when when our friend JT there in Parliament decided to say that it was a routine tra uh, training exercise of the Canadian Armed Forces. And I was like, so you're telling me that the Canadian Air Force set up a routine training mission over an area that was supposed to be empty of people. You know what right. I mean? Like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it yeah, just because so they, they wouldn't have known the convoy was going to be there. Yeah, They just so happened to plan an exercise right over the city of Ottawa long before and said, Oh, there's a target of opportunity. Like, what's the deal? I, like, I don't buy it for a minute. I literally don't buy it for a minute. Now I would say, um, I, I would say that there is the slight possibility that the, the Air Force, and, I, and I I'm not a, an Air Force or aviator guy or involved in that kind of stuff. So I'm speaking outside of my lanes here a little bit in, in saying that it's possible the Air Force said, hey, there's, a, there's an opportunity there to go and 
do this kind of training? Why don't we go and do it? Um, it's just the question of the legality starts to come up a little bit there too, right? Because they tried to say it was a routine training exercise, but do they fly over routine protests or routine, uh, you know, sporting events? Do they fly over the, the Sky Dome or whatever it's called, the Rogers Center? Yeah. Uh, or Iverwind Stadium during a football game? Do they fly over those things to, to do the training that they're doing against Canadians, but up in the sky? I'm not sure. Um, so I... You know, I, I, I didn't buy a story at all. I really didn't buy a story. I think they just got caught with their pants down and it was very embarrassing <laughs> for them. To be, to be and they, they had to put their spin doctors to work. To they did. The, they, and they got the ultimate spin doctor, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the guy who says the best way to get to Mars is if everyone gets vaccinated. <laughs> sure. That'll get me to Mars. <laughs> Forget the spaceship. Just give me the thing. Sorry. Did I say the bad word? <laughs> uh, it's okay. It usually ends up getting said <laughs> somewhere along the way. I'm, I'm used to it. Um, well, I, no, I'll just have to. Polio. I'll have to submit the video talking, for review. Yeah. That yeah, <laughs> that's I, just I was normal talking about get, get the thing for polio and MMR and all that stuff. That's what I was talking about. Right. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, Tara mentions that it was uh, that it came out after that it was owned and operated by the U.S. I I hadn't seen oh. that. Where are you familiar with that? Or I'd have to look no, into that. No, I I didn't know. Uh, okay. That's a it's a great question. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know. That. I'll do I some more that. digging. Tara, if yeah. you want to send me the links on that, you, yeah. I can take a look at that as well. Um, and then Tara also says, uh, I find it so tragic how the PM has treated the honorable vets and serving military members. It started yeah. by destroying Admiral Admiral Norman yeah. and protecting Norman, Vance yeah. and the al the allegations of SA while Vance helped frame Norman. Um, yeah. You obviously you know what she's talking about there. I, I'm not uh, uh, on that story. Uh, sexual assault or or something probably. I'm I'm, mm. I'm guessing, but. Um, you know, a couple of issues there. The um, the video that that went viral when when the um, when the veteran there cornered uh, JT out, out west somewhere, and he said, you know, his response was, uh, "Veterans are asking more than we're willing to give." Um, and and I, I I'll be honest with you, I was there was no words for how I honestly felt about that i i felt a deep sense of disgust and betrayal when he said those words because we have a thing called unlimited liability it is unique to the canadian military uh it means that when you when you join you are signing away your legal right to refuse an order that could potentially lead to your certain death that is that is strictly to the military. The police don't have it. Uh, you, the, you could literally be ordered to your certain death. Yeah. And you don't have the right to refuse it in certain circumstances, right? And so when you're asking your soldiers who volunteer to turn over unlimited liability, and that's what it's called, and then you turn around and say, we're asking more than you're willing to give. I'm willing to give up my life and you're going to nickel and dime me over what I need to survive for the rest of my life, you know, as a veteran, because I'm either injured or I'm, I'm very ill or I, I need support. I, you know, people that have risked everything and you're going to actually turn around and say, you're asking more than we're willing to give in return. It's disgusting. And it's such a betrayal um, of, of 
every soldier that, that does take that oath. And I want to make something very clear about this. I've uh, taken the oath twice and I've administered the oath twice. And I find it really interesting. People should should Google the uh, the oath for the to join the Canadian Armed Forces. You actually don't swear an oath to the people of Canada or the, the Charter of the Constitution. You actually swear an oath to the Queen of England, her heirs and successors. It's kind of interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of bizarre, right? Like in your heart, what do you what are you swearing an oath to is different than what you're you're reading out loud with your name. Now, in I mean, the the symbolism of the crown is is a physical representation of yes. the people of Canada. Yeah. And yeah. I think unfortunately that that gets lost and not taught properly. And I, yeah. I was raised in a in a British household, and so that was understood yeah. that the, yeah. the crown symbolizes the yeah. people. But yeah, it's interesting and, and, that it, and it's yeah, like when you flip open of, your passport and it, it talks yeah. about the, the queen and such. Yeah. yeah. Well, even on a lot of the, that the, you'll see on a, on a beret, you'll see a crown. And it depends on the time, whether it's a queen's crown, king's crown. And, right. and when the monarchy changes, you have to actually change that crown on all of the badges. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're the only country in the world whose national anthem changes because uh, it switches from "God Save the Queen" to "God Save the King" uh, yeah. with the with the succession. Mm -hmm. um, so back to back to your story. There, you 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 got into software development, and uh, yeah. you bar barely had a chance to start teaching yeah. at Georgian, and uh, and then, as I understand it, you you stirred up some controversy there. So so what happened uh, there that led you to speak out? So mildly. <laughs> uh, I think, think it was uh, Seneca College was the first college. I think Western University was the first to come out. These uh, failed medical experiments are now mandatory for you to stay as a student or keep your employment. And so I, I literally, I, I, I heard this was coming and a, a colleague that I worked with at Georgian said, hey, usually when Seneca does it first, the rest of the colleges follow suit. So I said, okay. So I knew I knew something was going to be coming. Uh, so about two weeks before the, so last August, about two weeks into it before school started. Interestingly, all the students had paid their tuitions and signed up for courses. Then they came out with a uh, a mandate saying, if you want to either work here or be a student here, you're going to have to uh, participate in this uh, medical experiment. And I and I pushed back really hard. Like I, so I've been a member of police on guard for at least a year prior to that. And, uh, some of the officers had produced a document and in, in found the actual, all the different Canadian laws that were being violated by this stuff. And the last one being the Nuremberg codes. So I had written an email and I directed it to the president of the college, the VP of HR and a bunch of the deans that I had known and as many faculty as I could find. It was, it was at least 250 people. And I sent this thing out. Uh, and I and I basically said, what you're doing is immoral, illegal, and unethical. And how are you getting around these 10 different areas of Canadian law? I think I was fired within four days. Wow. Uh, and the semester had already started. And it's, you know, it's funny as last week, and uh, or two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I had my arbitration finally with the union. And I just got notified uh, yesterday that I had uh, lost my arbitration um for what i was asking for because they said i i didn't even the thing was 24 pages long and, I, and it wasn't even until the last paragraph 
that I got to it, but I lost it. And you know why I lost it? Because they wouldn't give me a um, a postponement of the arbitration because I had just found out that I was in a debate for this campaign. And I said, look, I've got people in my house. I'm doing debate prep right now. I can't do this. Ask for a postponement because you guys, this is the third postponement that you guys have given yourself. So now I'm asking for a postponement and they refused. And I got notified today that I just lost my entire uh, arbitration. So it's, they're, they're yeah. arguing you were you were rightfully dismissed. Dismissed, yes. yes. Yeah. And what, what I'm curious, I mean... Uh, I mean, you're going to be biased, obviously, but like the letter, presumably you weren't attacking people personally. You were pointing out facts and like questions about this. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's what you were ultimately fired for was the email. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm never, I could never go back into the system and be a teacher with what is currently going on inside schools right now in this, in this province. And in other provinces, um, I loved teaching. I, I absolutely adored it. And um, I was so excited every day to go to class. I, I really was. Um, more so on the online stuff. I, I taught a, a course, uh, I taught machine learning in one when they they had an, an AI uh, program that they started. So I taught uh, machine learning. Uh, and before everyone all jumps all over me, machine learning is literally just prediction. Okay, machines that are doing prediction. It's not what you think it is. It's not Terminator. Uh, And then the other one I taught, and I and I fought for this one is I taught uh, something called issues and challenges with AI. Basically, it was an ethics course on the use of AI. And and by far, even it wasn't I wasn't teaching software. It was more of a an arts or ethics course. Loved it. I got to build the whole course. Uh, Great course. Lots and lots of fun. I absolutely adore teaching this course. Um, you know, and the feedback from the students was always great. Uh, we had long, long online discussions. We did it all in uh, Teams or we did it in in uh, whatever platform it was. And my students were mostly international. So we, we spent a lot of time talking about all these issues of AI and, and what the potential harms were. Because I was trying to teach my students that you can't just think about the application you're using right now for AI you have to think about how it can be used against the public. How it, what are the bad things that we could do with the thing that you want to apply, right? The great thing is I love computer vision. I, I absolutely love writing software for computer vision, but you can use computer vision to do facial recognition to literally assassinate somebody with an autonomous drone, right? So you you when you're developing these things, you have to have an ethical perspective on how it could be used in the worst possible way that, you know, humans are really good at coming up with. Yeah. The, the tool is neither good nor evil. It's, yeah. it's how, yes. but how it's used yeah. and how it's applied. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah. facial recognition is obviously a very powerful tool in lost people. Yes. I was recently reading yeah. an article of uh, someone who'd been trafficked and, and they were able to find her using facial recognition to yes. a website and they tracked her down. And, yeah. and so, yeah, of yeah. course these, these things are not inherently evil, but you yeah. must always look at the, the ethical implications. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you on a bigger, uh, you know, macro level, if, if you know, this election rolls out in my favor and by some miracle Ontarians uh, do the right thing for, for the rest of the province uh, and, and Derek does become the premier, the first job I'm going to ask for, well, two jobs I'm going to ask for. I'd like to be the Robert Mueller of Ontario against the Ford government. 
So let's just say that right out front. After that, I'd actually really like to be the minister of education in this province hmm. because our, our, our education system is, is brutal. It is brutal. And do you, do you want to elaborate on that? what are, what are, I know we have many frustrations with education, but what would you say are the big ones for you? Well, first I'm going to say, uh, in the, in the, uh, the public school realm, they are so, so obsessed with indoctrinating our as opposed to dating. Um, th- this is, this is a fundamentally fraud, flawed thing. We really need for the schools to get the hell out of people out of parents uh business mm. you know critical race theory is is just an absolutely by design a confusing and a horrific thing for the society that we have here um it's racist is what it is <laughs> it, it is racist it yeah. in a lot of the yeah. dividing everyone into people. these categories and ranking them and yes, um, yes. yeah it's yeah sanctioning by sanctioning it's very divine racist yeah, it, it sanctions teachers who are found guilty in a school-level tribunal uh, of an accusation of, of, of going against race theory. You can be fined as a teacher up to $200 by your own school. It's, it's absurd. And I mean, the other thing is this. It was written, the legislation, Bill 67, was written by an NDP. It was supported, obviously, by the Liberals. And it was pushed through two readings in the legislature in Ontario by the PCs. Wasn't for this election, it got to the third, but now that has to start over from the beginning because it, it any legislation that was in the process before the election was called has to go back to the beginning. And it, I mean, this is an absolute abomination. And then let's get into the whole uh gender identity issues, like the gender dysphoria. Um is is just I, I don't know how to explain it other than to say that um we we need to stop indoctrinating. 99% of the class on the off chance on the off chance there may be a 1% of a cohort of students that does uh have issues of of gender dysphoria um and listen the way i see it we need to help the family and the individual who has that but we need to put the position or the the family in the word as a family they can um get help with with that issue and the other thing is right now you're seeing all these schools that are doing all of this stuff with the with the child behind the backs of the parents and they're doing this they're deliberately concealing this from parents all across this country this must stop um you know telling telling you know five six seven eight year old children that they are not the gender that they believe they were when they walked into that class that day is disgusting it literally is disgusting and it must stop. And that's just at the public school level stuff, right? So then you get into the colleges and let me just say what the colleges, uh, the indoctrination, the liberal ideology and the, the indoctrination that starts in the colleges is, is really insane. But I'll tell you the bigger issue is this. The moment that these paid for post-secondary institutions realize that those paying students are not public school kids, that they're actually paying customers, the level of quality control would go super high. Because I can tell you, I, I graduated from uh, from Seneca College and I did that software degree. 
I, I'll be honest, I was thoroughly unimpressed. I was under impressed, underwhelmed by the level of instruction that I got from some of those profs. I've got a couple that yeah. were just amazing. Uh, a guy named um, uh, uh, his, his, his so clear in my head, um, St. Cyr, uh, Dr. St. Cyr was a phenomenal, phenomenal professor that I had there. Um, Elliot Coleshill, who had a great career in the space in industry, great professor. The rest of them, uh, I can't really think of too many that I really cared for. I thought they were any good. So the problem is, is, you know, one of the challenges that they have is that some of them just become professional PowerPoint readers. They couldn't teach anything. Yeah. Software is really hard to teach, but the, the level of instruction was so poor in the vast majority of the, the teachers I had because they had tenureship, they had their, their, uh, uh, you know, guaranteed incomes and you, it, it takes an act of, of parliament just to get rid of a teacher. Hmm. You know, some of them were so bad. We had one guy at, at uh, unless you disagree with mandates, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. You disagree with a mandate. You're gone. Right. As, you're gone. You know, all my, all my teacher ratings were all like out of four. They were, uh, they were all in the high to mid threes. Right. So yeah. my performance as a teacher, excellent, but yet I push back against, uh, I protect my own bodily autonomy and my own rights. And that's what I got actually fired for. Not because I was a bad teacher, but it, you could be an absolute catastrophe in the classroom because they had one. Because I, I there was a guy who was always teaching oh. first years. He was always teaching first year. They had three cohorts, three, three first year cohorts of students came in. An entire cohort quit because of this one teacher. And a, and a, yeah. a student that I and he said, he walked into a, a test when he said, the, the, the teacher said, you can have this eight and a half by 11 uh, cheat sheet for your exam. And this guy walked in with a little cue card. And the guy says, well, what's that? And he goes, all the stuff you've taught me. <laughs> right? and, he, and the guy failed. And, and that student, that student is actually a better software developer than I am. Like this yeah, well, is- Well, I- uh... I, I studied mathematics at, uh, at university yeah. and, uh, <laughs> I know what bad teachers look like. Yeah. I had, I had one yeah. guy there. Actually, there were two profs teaching the same course and, yeah. um, I had heard that this one prof was really good. And so I tried to sign yeah. up in his class, but I didn't get, yeah. didn't get in early enough. And yeah. so ended up yeah. in the other guy's class who was known to be terrible. And so yeah. at the beginning, I started just going to the other professors, the, the good professor's yeah. room. And I wasn't yeah. the only one. And so there ended up being just a smattering of people in the one class. And then yeah. everyone was crowding into the other professor's room. And you know what they did? Instead of saying like, oh, maybe the students are onto something here. Uh, this guy's a terrible teacher. Yeah. No, they started putting security at the door to make sure that you had your ID to not let you into that class if, if you and forcing yeah. you to go to the other one. So then instead, none of us just went to class yeah. and we all just read our textbooks. He, uh, he barely spoke yeah. English which is not a racist comment. It's simply a matter of fact that he- It's he a reality barely, though. Yeah, and this yeah. is what's frustrating is all this race stuff where it's like, this is not, I don't care where the guy's from. I don't care what he looks like. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. it's that you your job is communicating. And so you need to be able to communicate. And I barely could understand a word the guy said. Yeah. And then yeah. he got mad if you ask questions. So I just didn't yes. go to his yes. class. And like, how yeah. does this guy have a job? I don't, he must, he must yeah. put out some good research papers is all I can guess. Yeah, because I mean, at the university level, a lot of the profs, they don't want to teach, they want to do research. And unfortunately, it's an it's an annoyance that they have to actually yeah. teach, right? 
but I, same thing. I had a, there was another part, like another teacher there who um, was like not even going to class. He just wasn't showing up and didn't tell the students he was, the message didn't get passed to them. So they, they said to me one day, they said, Hey, can you just fill in one week for this guy? Cause I was already teaching the class. I was so far ahead of this guy. Um, and the students were at, we spent the first hour. The students were actually, it turned into a therapy session. They were, they were pissed at him, but I was the one on the receiving end of it. And then they said, Hey, uh, what you teach this class? When do you teach it next? I said, well, I'm actually teaching my regular class tomorrow morning at nine. The next morning, a bunch of them showed up to my class. So same exact thing. Right. Um, but I, I prepare, like I, I prepare for everything that I do. I don't like to be unprepared. And I, even when I was in class teaching, I would spend hours and hours and hours getting ready for one lesson. Um, but I, I teach things in a very different way uh, because software, for example, is extremely abstract. My web, my, my uh, YouTube channel is called uh, um, Abstract to Concrete Programming uh, on there. And I teach like a bunch of stuff. And if any of you software people are on there and you're interested, go on there and check it. But I, I do, um, I use real life examples uh, to teach software. And, and sometimes I actually use Lego to teach software because <laughs> software is incredibly abstract. Um, I've, I brought in my 3D printer into class one day to try to, you know, explain something called instantiation. Oh, there it is. Um, so oh, all my machine just didn't put a link there. Yeah. there. Yeah. Machine learning and everything is in like, it's all, it's all there, but I, I, I prepare for every hyper prepare for a lot of stuff. You know, the debate that I did get in yesterday, I spent eight, eight hours uh, or two days ago, I spent eight hours preparing uh, for a debate that I only had six questions that I still didn't get it, get in into because I wouldn't wear a mask. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you about that in a second. I just want to acknowledge uh, Mary Chad uh, says, Tom, you would be a welcome change in the education system. You'd be a great education minister praying for positive change in this province. Yeah. Uh, thank you, too. Mary. Yeah. yeah, thank you for and, that. And uh, yeah, I guess we're we're into politics here, so it might as well um, sure. touch on that. So you're running for the Ontario Party, and yep. uh, I had some people in the questions they're asking too. What are some like tangible changes that you would seek? And uh, tell tell us a bit about uh, what what difference you could make in in your riding, and then more broadly, what the Ontario Party stands for. Okay, so uh, specifically in my writing, and I got this question the other night. Uh, the first thing I would I would say is what I can do as an MPP in my writing, as sort of a lone MPP elected, is a lot less than I would be able to do if Derek Sloan became the Premier of Ontario, right? Because then we would have a, a we'd have a new Premier support of the the leader, but the big to understand about the Ontario party. And this is the sole reason I even started talking to them is because this party, we don't whip votes. So right now, Doug Ford, he sits in all 67 ridings that he, his party was elected in. And the MPP that's voted there is really just an administ assistant to him, right? They're not, they don't have any power. They literally have yeah, no power at all. They do. Well, whatever I think a lot of Canadians vote. don't realize that. It's yeah. a, and same at the federal level where, they just do what they're told that they have to do what they're told because Doug Ford is removed since he's been premier four years, he's removed seven of his MPPs because they disagreed with him. And so 
when you look at that, you, you realize the MPP has no power. It's Doug Ford that sits in every one of those PC ridings. Now, you look one level up at the federal level. What's happening to 38 million Canadians right now is two guys. Two guys control the, the, the lives of 38 million people. Jugmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau are the only two people that have any say in the rest of our lives because they tell their members, you don't our way, you're just simply gone. And until, or unfortunately this week, now we've got the, the Bloc Quebecois joining in. So we have a, a full party in Quebec that, by the way, doesn't have a single federal MP outside of the province of Quebec. So why in the hell is the Bloc Quebecois being allowed to vote on issues pertaining to any of the other night uh, or the other provinces? The other thing is this, the, the, the province of Quebec never ratified the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So for them, they don't care if they violate the Charter of Rights, your second six mobility, because they never signed the thing. Everybody else mm -hmm. did, plus the, the, the prime minister at the time, uh, Trudeau Sr. So, you know, we, we've basically got three people this week voted to stop six million Canadians from being allowed to travel uh, in and out of this country. Three people. This is a so-called democracy. And, and I, what it baffles me is how ordinary Canadians just don't give a crap. Yeah, I, I know. And and we, I mean, you and I, we're, we're aware enough that, uh, that that we realize that that people don't give a crap. I think some people who are in, in the freedom yeah. movement and depending on what they're seeing on Facebook, they're like, oh, look, yeah. like lots of people understand this is a problem. But you step yeah. out of those circles and, I mean, even uh, just yeah. walk around and talk to friends around town yeah. and they're like, oh, you're still doing that, Dave? It's like, yeah, I'm yeah. still doing it. Yeah. I'm still not allowed to leave this country. Yes. Like, and it, people are kind of shocked to hear that, but yeah. they're yeah. just, they're yeah. not paying attention. Yeah. So, I mean, what I can do if, if Derek becomes the premier versus what I can't do. I mean, I'm going to be completely curtailed if if I'm the only one elected or if yeah. only a few of us get elected and Derek doesn't. We get curtailed pretty hard. Uh, but, I mean, we can obviously be a, a thorn in their side. The more, the, you know, we go from being a mosquito to being maybe a big giant wasp if enough of us in the Ontario party that get elected. Uh, I'd love it if we, we formed an opposition. Um you know, I'd, I'd even love it more if we won the government. So if Derek, say, for example, became the premier and I got elected in my riding, I can tell you for Peterborough, the best thing I could do would be to convince Derek Sloan to fire the current mayor of Peterborough. Mm. She is terrible. Um I don't know how else to explain it. She's she's one of the most professional, other than the mayor of Ottawa, she's one of the most unprofessional uh, sitting mayors that I've ever heard of. She constantly gets on Twitter and attacks her own citizens. I mean, she's the one last year who told uh, Maxine Bernier and Randy Hillier to stay the F out of Peterborough. I don't know how many times she's been investigated by the ethics people. I myself launched a complaint against her for... Uh, her support against Karima, who showed up on April 9th at the grand reopening for Peterburgers, where there was self and three new blue candidates had all spoken and other people in support of the restaurant. Karima showed up to be a, a disruptive force in this thing. 
which she did. And then the mayor come out and supported her and called the rest of us dimwits. And then, and then proceeded to tweet that she was going to be bringing this issue up at the next police services board. Right. So there's a whole backstory to that. I, I actually filed a complaint against the um, Ontario police civilians association uh, or commission, sorry, uh, to have her investigated for directing police operations against the law for any sitting politician to direct law enforcement to take action or, or police act, uh, operations. So they've actually just said, Hey, we're, we're, we're interested, but this is by no means uh, you know, a finalized conclusion to our investigation. They just said, we're interested in looking at it a little further. And I haven't heard anything since, but that's a, that's a step in the right direction. We just had a tornado rip through this whole county. You know, the, the one where the power was out from literally Kingston, Peterborough, all the way to London. And um, where was she? It took her, I think, four or five days to declare a state of emergency. Even where I am, from Saturday to Maybe she had to get back from Mexico or something. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the thing is this. Like, she's out there doing bops in the park because she's picking up a branch. Okay, but she took five days to declare a state of emergency. She spends more time on Twitter acting like a mean girl, like the head cheerleader for the movie Mean Girls, than she does actually going out and solving. Like, I don't hear her talking about budgets. I don't hear her talking about tourism. I don't hear her talking about um, the opioid crisis here. She's too busy going after her own citizens who disagree with the mandates. She's obsessed with going after uh, uh, the owners of Peter Burgers. She's obsessed. It's, it's, I know it's, it's, it's a strange, it's a strange yeah. phenomenon we've seen across yeah. the country where you have these yeah. Politicians who, you know, infamously can't get anything done yeah. for for yeah. years on end and make excuses and delays and budgets or yeah. keep yeah. building up and but then all of a sudden yeah. they can manage to like ticket you for going on a playground and they can <laughs> yeah shut down restaurants yeah. and they yeah. can come after YouTubers. Yeah. It's like man, it's yeah. amazing how quickly yeah. you guys can get moving when you all of a sudden get motivated about something. But what a weird yeah. thing to get motivated yeah. on. We yep. had within within hours of do you remember when the playground shut down yep. in, in Ontario? And my, yep. my viewers from outside of Ontario are always shocked to hear this, but our playgrounds were shut down. And within hours of that announcement, in, in my yep. town here, there was a caution tape. The, the township yes. went out and put up yep. caution tape around all the playgrounds. Yep. Now, positive note. There was, uh, I got a video sent to me of some dad who within hours of that, he went out there and was ripping down the caution yeah. tape and then the yeah. kids were back out playing. But yeah. somehow within, within the day, they managed to make a new law, shut down playgrounds and put up caution tape all over the province. Yes. And it's like, yeah. you guys yeah. can't get anything done, but you care so much about this. It, the yeah. whole thing is, is strange yeah. to me. I, I like you know, there, there was, I saw all sorts of joke memes and stuff like that about, you know, nobody shows up to a bank robbery, but man, somebody has a, has more than five people in their home <laughs> and like the entire half the department shows up. Right. Yeah. It, it, he- heaven forbid you have a bubble bus. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. I know. You have a They'll bubble get bus, you for done. that. You're done. you're done. Like if you spread yeah. happiness and peace and joy, you're done. Yeah. Right? They'll send so the, so the thing is you. this, that the, the, any sitting premier, uh, so any provincial government, has the actual legal authority to remove a municipal government because a municipal government is actually a corporation issued, their licenses are issued on behalf of the premier or the, the provincial government. So a premier can go in and remove a mayor. And back in the day when uh, Rob Ford was the mayor of Toronto, 
and he was, you know, a lot of the inappropriate things that he was saying and doing and being investigated for a lot. There was a call for Kathleen Wynne to remove him. She wouldn't do it. And I discussed this with my lawyer, Keith Wilson from the uh, uh, JCCF, and, and we had a great conversation. He's like, oh, yeah, you can do it. They did it once on a case he was working on in Alberta. Interesting. So this can be done. And I think that the mirror, so, so you know, go back to your earlier question. If we form a government, the first thing that needs to happen is this. We need to uh, set up a public inquiry, televised public inquiry into the Ford government in their entire handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. We need to get answers as to why he did what he did. We need to get answers as to why he didn't use emergency management Ontario. And he abdicated his entire responsibility and his authority to an unelected bureaucrat, uh, a doctor who is completely not trained in dealing with pandemics. He's a bureaucrat, right? Emergency Management Ontario has an actual contingency plan for pandemics. They are the lead agency that would have literally, if they were, if, if the government got out of their way, would have handled this whole thing. And they would have put Doug Ford in the perfect position to, to uh, evidence-based, uh, economic-based, science-based handle this pandemic that would have been so safe and effective for all of Ontario. We could have led the way in Ontario. We could have been the Florida of the North. But what did we do? He abdicated all of his duties and responsibilities. And now he's trying to abdicate, you know, uh, complete responsibility for the carnage that he has created in the last two years. And what sickens me is that the media has helped him all along. And the media has been blocking our party from, you know, shedding any heat on this thing. And they've been actively working against getting any of the other uh, Ontario registered uh parties and their candidates any media any any media coverage they've been actively working against this so that we can't be put in front of the 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 attention of the public yeah it's terrible because one of the like the traditional role uh one of the roles of media is to be that accountability and and be that voice to power and to to speak against these things and instead they are just walking hand in hand uh, with these leaders and becoming propaganda arms uh, for them. And yeah, it was, it's totally disgusting to see. Yeah. I just refer to them all as the uniparty because I can't tell the difference, but like Doug Ford always campaigned as a conservative on the right and he governed as a liberal. I can't tell the difference between any of the the four parties, except there's just a different level of craziness that, that they all each and everyone have. Like, the guy who has been abusing Ontarians for the last two years and locking them down and making them lose jobs, 300,000 jobs across Ontario lost in the pandemic or businesses lost. The guy who's been abusing people for two years is going to get rewarded by Ontarians because they're more afraid of the Liberals. Like, and, and they should be afraid of the Liberals because the Liberals have come out and said, hey, if you elect us, we form the government, we're going to mandate that your children, school age and up, are all mandated this experimental... Um, well, and this is uh, the problem. When conservatives yeah. go liberal, then the liberals and NDP have to go even more right. left, right? And we saw yes. that at the federal level, that you try to pander to the left, and then and then it just leapfrogs the politics yeah. even further left, because, yeah, yeah you, you, the, the NDP and the liberal platforms are shocking. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're arguing that 
Ford didn't go far enough, even though we had some of the strictest lockdowns in the whole yeah. world. No, 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 yes. they didn't go far enough. Yeah. We need to go yeah. further. And it, it's absolutely terrifying. I'm not I, convinced the liberal government would have been so much worse than than Ford, which is not something I thought I would ever say. But yeah, I, yeah. I can't see how a liberal government would have even been any worse. We, we legitimately had some of the strictest uh, rules I in think, the whole uh, world. <laughs> personally, I think the liberals would have been worse in many other different areas, maybe, right. maybe, maybe not so much on the, the, the pandemic, but they might, they would have been definitely a lot worse than a lot of other issues in the NDP. They're a write off as far as I'm concerned. Andrea Horvath is, is, is batshit crazy in my mind for the things that she was calling for to happen to her own citizens. She's and there's not yeah. one drop, like not one ounce of scientific evidence to back up what they want to do to Ontarians. Like Brian, by uh, Dr. Byron Bridal, with a bunch of other scientists challenged them over a year ago to a debate to the Ontario science table. They just ignored him, declined it. We're too afraid. Doug Ford has been offered so many times to debate the actual science of what they're doing. And they're just being ignored. Like Roman Babber got kicked out because he wrote a document and he used APA referencing to cite all of his scientific evidence to support what he was saying. And you know what Doug Ford re responded with? Basically, you're fired, and then he signed it with a crayon. Like, we got a guy yeah, who's Ro a Roman told me the other night he got a text that informed him he was fired. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was so. This is this is really the the level of sophistication we get from Doug Ford, and uh, it it just baffles me that Ontarians are going to reward this guy with another term as the premier. And you know why they're going to do it. Because yeah. the media is telling everybody, hey, it's a foregone conclusion. Doug Ford's got a, a lock on this thing. So you know what happens? People stay home and they say, well, why should I go to the, why should I go vote if he's going to get it? Which for me, thank you. You know why? Because my supporters are going to go and vote and your supporters are going to stay home. I'll take that, that you, you're doing that to yourself. So I well, hope they stay home. Let's play the other side. And so say that yeah. um, Ford, uh, you know, does win and and then people will say things like uh well we don't want to well you hear this i'm sure you heard this a lot campaigning we don't want to split the vote or yeah. it's going to be yeah. worse with the 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 ndp um but say yeah. so say ford does win and if someone yeah. voted for ontario party or another alternative party yeah. um is that a wasted vote or or what is well, that what does that do it, it's it's not a wasted vote vote and i'll tell you why because this this election right now what what happens the percentage of the votes that we do capture this time around are going to have an impact on the things that we will be allowed to do in the next election four years from now if there even is an election four years from now so your vote counts this campaign right now is is every bit important for the next election as it is for today's election as well um you know in football you know when you when you have a big change around with your entire team they call it you know this is our growing year or this is our uh uh th there's a term for it in football i think it's called your it's a rebuilding year okay yeah. so the ontario party it's been around since 2018 but and they ran candidates in the last election but it wasn't a serious challenge we have actually put 105 out of 124 people in three months into this election we have set up all the riding associations at 100, and it's actually 113. But Elections Ontario didn't like the filing deadline and disqualified eight of our candidates. So we have a 113 riding set up out of a possible 124, and we did that in three months. 
And let me tell you, this party is full of doctors, lawyers, engineers, scientists, you know, teachers like me, um, community members, freedom fighters, basically people that have come from the community that said, hey, I'm done with crap. Like they're giving up their, their careers to jump into the political arena because they can't stand what is happening anymore in this province and in this country. So we literally are the, the, we are the voters. The voters are coming forward and saying, Hey, we're getting in this election and we're going to do it with the Ontario party because we don't have to, you know, you're not going to whip the votes and tell us what we have to do. We are free to vote for what the constituents want, not for what the leader wants or what the party says we're doing. So we are the people that we are the voters. Yeah, and uh, a few people there asking um, about the 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 new blue. I I did do a I did an interview there with a new yeah. blue candidate that you can go back and look as yeah. well. But as I understand, uh, some certainly on the aspect of freedom, you guys share uh, a lot of similarities. Is there something? Uh, or what do you see as uh, your unique set setting you apart versus uh, the new blue? And we don't need to get into mudslinging. I just mean more on the yeah. positive yeah. side. What uh, what sets you apart from from other right wing alternative groups? Okay, so so the way I let me just say this: I'm running against uh, Rebecca Quinnell. She's new blue candidate here. Rebecca and I, we we chat or we text or we talk. We spoke on the phone yesterday. I really like her, and I have publicly come out many times and I've said, hey, if if I lose, and Rebecca wins, that's a consolation prize I could live with easily, because I you know I believe in in Rebecca's the the virtue for the reasons that she has joined this this campaign. I don't have a problem with Rebecca winning if I lose. I will be very upset if I lose to the incumbent or any of the other Uniparty people. Um, but for me, and, and yes, I agree with you, I don't want to get into mudslinging because, you know, the uh, the candidate in Durham, his name is Spencer Ford. Awesome guy. He's new blue and uh, he's a he's a fellow veteran and he was a, he's a retired police officer. Great candidate. And his writing association president was like a father to me in Ottawa who took care of me, Jack McClellan, great guy. In the Ottawa Valley, you've got uh, Thomas O'Connor, new blue candidate, really great guy. I worked with him all the time in, in the convoy. Um, but we're running candidates against all three of those people. So I can't really go out and campaign for them. I can say that they're great people. And, and if they, you know, our candidates lose and they're riding, I'll accept them as a great alternative. But at the end of the day, for me, I... I think after all my life, I've got a very good handle on true leadership. And it really comes down to the leader of the two parties. I cannot get behind theirs. There's no way that's ever going to happen. But I definitely am I'm fully in support of Derek Sloan. Uh, and the other thing is, like, I think our platform is just much stronger. I really think our, our platform is better. Um, really, I, I just do. I think we just have a lot of better people. Uh, Rebecca's great, the three, the other two that I mentioned, but I think overall we have better because, you know, uh, it, it's a it's a great platform. It's very strong. It's very conservative. And um, I, I think we're just in a better position to do to have a better government. And I can say that our the leader of our party, Derek Sloan, eight times, eight times has reached out. And I've been a part of two of those, the last two, reached out to them and said, hey, we'll work with you if you want to. Hmm. But... 
And, you know, this comment there, Sloan is too swamp infested. I don't, I don't even comprehend that kind of stuff. And you know what? And, and I don't want to get into mudslinging, but I tell you, I didn't even join the Ontario party and I had new blue supporters going after me like crazy. When I, all I did is I put on my Twitter that I was endorsing the Ontario party. I wasn't even part of them yet. And wow, did I ever get hammered by, you know, uh, Wyatt and Daniel. I was on their pad podcast a few days before. I didn't know they were new blue uh, hatchet people. And they were the first to light me up on Twitter. And then one of the candidates. And I'm like, I don't get this. I don't no, get it's really this. it's really unfortunate. I, I mean, it's, it's not going to uh, get yeah. us uh, any yeah. further. Of course, I yeah. mean, I, I yeah. would agree. I, I wish that uh, there there could have been found a solution of a united yeah. right. And, yeah. and that's not, I mean, out of the question maybe for, for one day, but clearly yeah. not in, in so, this election. And, and I think it does still send it, an important message to the provincial government, whatever happens in tomorrow's election. If they look at the yeah. numbers, for example, in my writing, um, yeah. the, the conservative in the federal election lost. And if you add up, if you would have added the votes from the PPC, that would have been yeah. a win for the, the yeah. Conservatives. And I don't regret that I voted PPC because now what we see happening, like you said, looking forward to the next election, what we see happening now is a huge, a, a tectonic shift in the Conservative Party, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and there's yeah. many factors at play, obviously the convoy being part of it, but a yeah. huge shift in the Conservative Party federally. And a big piece of that was because they saw a much bigger than they expected support for an alternative party and so um, I definitely encourage people to to vote for uh, one of the alternative parties, uh, whether and, and and look at your candidates, too. Right. Because um, yeah. uh, it, it look who the stronger candidate is. I, I've endorsed both New Blue and Ontario Party yeah. candidates yeah. and suggest people look at their their personal writing and yeah. uh, who the strong candidate is there. Yeah. And it does send a clear message. Yeah, sorry. I've even said like, if we don't run a candidate in your writing to the, the the three people that I've mentioned, I said I will publicly endorse you. Right? Mm -hmm. It's about the people that are in there and the reasons why they're doing it. And and I want to say this one one thing: if we get, let's say, a handful of them and a handful of us, we we actually will become a really strong voting block. And now I'm talking like I'm watching Survivor, but uh, we will be able to. I think those individual people that get elected in those writings will probably be able to come together and, and make a difference. So is, is there a future possibility that the two parties will combine? Probably, but you know, at this point, the elections tomorrow, and I keep getting yeah. the same question day after day after day, it's been months. Like people have to just say like, there are two parties. That's just the way it is. And I, and I know that frustrates, it really frustrates and demoralizes the voters. I get that because I I'm on the receiving of this question every day. But at this point, it's just too late. Maybe in the future, there will be uh, for the two parties to try to work together. But I suspect there would have to be a leadership uh, convention between the two parties. They they democratically pick a leader amongst their their supporters and then and then see what happens. We're not there yet, but who knows? Yeah, we where you both get... you agree to the yeah. outcome and go with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just try uh, to get elected tomorrow. I have a question that was sent in uh, beforehand that I just want to ask you um, from Bev uh, Booker. Um, what kind of response has Tom received as he's been campaigning? Is he seeing that Ontario residents overall are wanting a change? And if he is encountering those that are not seeing a need for change, how is he able to get them to embrace 
change. So just a question about the overall kind of vibe that you've yeah. been getting as you're campaigning and knocking on doors. So what I will say is this, uh, once voters come and meet us or they, they, they take a minute, sorry, there's a mosquito flying around in this room. Uh, <laughs> but once they take just five minutes to get to know us, the party sells itself like this. It, we're, we're not talking about like, a, I'm not trying to sell a car here. It takes mm. just a minute or two of their time. And then they start to get more curious. Right. And then they look at the platform, but here's the challenge. We can't get the media to uh, respect the voters and give any airtime to us to tell everybody else about us. And so the challenge for us is always been getting in front of the public, but we can't get in front of the public. We've been doing social media. It's never enough. And then, you know, there's so much hate there right now. Yeah. Um, there is so much hate across every province or every uh, riding and every party. Like the number of times I, I see, uh, you know, vandalized signs. Uh, that's why Rebecca called me yesterday. She actually had a guy, she was calling to find out if I was, if I received the same phone call from a guy who was so angry at her and her party stance on critical race theory that he told you he was, she should be hit by a bus and that he was currently at the moment smearing dog poo on her sign. You know, Dave Smith, is the, yeah, the PC. It's the strangest thing ever in the name of where, where, yeah. where they're supposedly attacking us for being hateful, discriminatory, yeah. all these other it's, words. And then it's like, yeah. oh, let's smear dog poo on his house because he's a bad yeah, person. Like, yeah. <laughs> what? The, the NDP candidate. Yeah, the NDP candidate for the debate I was supposed to go in two days ago, apparently on social media, she was getting threatened. So she backed out of the debate, right? And and I think it's ridiculous. I think it's shameful. And I absolutely denounce that kind of behavior. You know, I, and I know uh, Jugmeet Singh had actually arrived a few weeks ago in, in uh, Peterborough. He got viciously spoken to. Um, although I would say I, I don't condone that. I don't condone some of the stuff I saw, but what I didn't like was the fact that he had an opportunity to go out the back door, but he walked right through that crowd purpose and there was cameras there, but it was captured. Now, was Make he sure actually, did it, did the mainstream media uh, cover it when he got run out of town by the Sikh community uh, this week in Brampton, right? Did yeah, they cover that? that no, I, I was no. waiting for that to pop up on Nothing. mainstream. It's like, Nothing. oh, you loved... You love yeah. seeing the white people yeah. yell at him, but yeah. oh, a, a Sikh yeah. person yells at him, and uh, oh, crickets. Oh, yeah. we'll just and there's no coverage at all, right? So except uh, except from all of us freedom fighters, you know, we're we're yeah. punching that out. Yeah. Us supposed white supremacists, you know, yeah. us terrible yeah. people are are sharing that out all over the place to show that this is not about race. That he's yep. uh, he's upset many people, and it's racist yeah. of them to think it's racist. That's what with I all agree these exactly things, with what you said. it's like yeah. I disagree with this guy. I don't care yeah. where he's from. That's so beside yeah. the point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, what? Caucasians, Caucasians yell at a Caucasian prime right. minister. Well, Trudeau and is he... the center of our anger anyway. So the, yep. the only reason, the, the main yep. reason Jagmeet's getting in trouble is because he partnered with Trudeau. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? Like I, I don't care that a crowd would show up and would be upset and yelling at him. But I mean, when you start swearing at him, getting right in a, uh, an inch away from his face, giving them a finger, that's when the dialogue ends and then you're going to get painted as yeah. a bad guy. It doesn't matter what you're trying to achieve. No one's going to listen to that. You've got to, you've got to do it in a different way. Right. So 
I don't, I personally don't care that people are angry. He, he's, he's really upset the Canadian public. And, that, and that's the consequence of his own actions, right? That has nothing, that is a, a reflection of the temperament that, that him and his buddy have created for all of Canadians. And he's been for, since the campaign trail last August, calling everybody a name and same with Justin Trudeau, calling us all racist and misogynist. He's the one who started throwing the names. And then they they cry foul because people retaliate oh, in the they're, same they're manner. They're yelling that he, at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So at, at least they're know, not throwing start, you on the ground, beating you up, and cuffing you. Yeah, because uh, yeah, we learned what yeah, that's exactly, like. exactly right. So yeah. you know, I don't condone any anything that's violent, but I do condone people going there to express their their uh, right. dissatisfaction because that's the only opportunity they have because yeah, they won't and, answer their phone. And ultimately, they're not committing a crime. So it's obviously yeah. not my approach. And yeah. uh, but yeah. there, I would say there's a big difference between, um, you know, just just yelling yelling obscenities with someone, which is not my style, yeah. but they're legally allowed to do so, and yeah. uh, to, yeah. to actually do something violent or or whatnot. Uh, I just yeah. acknowledge their uh, anonymous. Thank you for the super chat. It says uh, love you, men. Thank you. And uh, Mary there says, we need to stop voting for career politicians. Vote the candidate yeah. that has had the skin in the game and actually wants to fight for their yeah. constituents. Well, I think, um, well, certainly I from what we've that. heard from from, uh, from yeah. you, Tom, you've definitely had had skin in the game. And um, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I want to I talk a little bit uh, about yeah. that, just rewinding. I want to spend some time on Veterans for Freedom because uh, there was yeah. that article yeah. that came out today, but yeah. but just rewinding yeah. to set the stage for that. So you were released from Georgian College, and then yeah. um, how did you end up getting uh, recruited, recruited as it were, getting involved in the convoy? How did that happen? It's a it's a it's a funny story. Like I we ended up uh, having to sell the house. We moved uh, in, and uh, we we met a couple that were local. And then uh, just through that uh, first meeting, we found these people through Facebook. We set up a play date with like-minded people uh, together, our kids together. That was great. We hit it off. They introduced me to one other person who was associated with Canada Unity uh, in James Botter and his wife, Sandy. And I had never heard of any of these people. Like, I was just a supporter. And uh, so in those conversations with the, the two friends I had made, when the convoy arrived on the Friday in Ottawa... Two days later, I got a call saying, you know, would, would you be able to take a call with this guy, James, and his wife, Sandy? I had never heard of. And I said, yeah, sure. And then I went, uh, I got on the call, and I said, I agreed to go and help them. And within three hours, I was literally standing in their headquarters in Ottawa. <laughs> and it, it just kind of evolved from, from the moment I walked in, it, it evolved. Um, what's interesting to know is that... Um, uh, Joe Borgo, who was who was recently fighting to become the leader of the Conservative Party, was in that room. I was with Joe the entire time uh, of that convoy, and I never had a clue who Joe was. And I didn't know that Joe was actually funding our conference room, was paying for my hotel rooms. I had no idea who was paying for all that stuff. It was Joe, right? And his, his uh, son-in-law, Ryan, uh, who were there, and like, I didn't know who these guys, I didn't know a single soul in the room. You know, yeah. I got in that room, I met Bridget right away. And, and, and Bridget, just by the way, she texted me and says, hey, by the way, you don't have a default bitch face. So thanks, Bridget. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, 
like on on the first day, like I'm I'm in the room and I'm working with Bridget. I don't know who anyone is, right? And and Bridget and I started working together. Uh, Dana from from Newfoundland worked together. Leanne from New Brunswick and a, and a bunch of other group, like a, a lot of great people. We just came in, didn't know anything about anybody. We just started working together. And uh, I remember the, the first day Bridget and I were trying to find out where everything was, where's the, the safety routes, where's the hospital, where's all that. Bridget and I were doing that, plotting it all on a map. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I didn't know that the entire convoy idea was Bridget's idea. I, I didn't know that. I didn't, I, I was just following it on social media, right? And then I learned later on how Tamara was involved and with, with uh, Chris Barber. And then that whole thing kind of morphed into this phenomenal thing that was seen exploded. and supported by, <laughs> yeah. Exploded, right? Yeah, it's um, crazy. And, and so I was just like completely, I had no idea who anyone was. I was watching the convoy on social media, like even two days after everyone else had already arrived. So in it was ultimately from a, a play date. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. basically. That, uh... So I was at my friend Joe's house the other day. Uh, I was there with my daughter and I, and I said, Hey, listen, uh, because of you, I got my bank accounts frozen and I have very little money left. <laughs> and so uh, if I need a loan, uh, the bank label, label the terrorist and everything else. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yep. I just so, quickly acknowledge it. it Tara there um, back on the, Rolling back to the politics, said Ford ruled, rode his brother's yeah. coattails, aligned with JT, yeah. and shamed me for voting for another tyrant cloaked in blue. Uh, yeah. I sent half a dozen letters begging him to protect our rights since April 2020, and he ignored me yeah. and others. Yes, yeah, certainly no, uh, no love there uh, for <laughs> the guy. And uh, I, I would actually agree on the riding the coattails. I um for all of Rob's issues and, and, and whatnot, um, they were personal. Right. And, um, I, if he's using the government money properly and if he's doing his job, then, uh, what he was getting up to in his, his personal time was not of a huge concern to me. So, uh, I, I thought it was uh, funny that they tried to make such a big deal about that for someone who is so loved by his people and as best I can tell, did a really great job in his role as mayor. They, they really, um, they really ripped on him for that, but uh, but our three-time blackface prime minister can somehow get away with <laughs> with what he does in his personal time. But the he's been like he's been found guilty by the how many times? Like I think something like three different times, you know, and and he still has a job. It's just I, I don't know. like I I you know it just I go back every day and I. Two, two people in this country are holding the other 38 million of us hostage. Hmm. It, it, it's, yeah. it's why don't, why doesn't Canadian, why can't Canadians just wake up from this? I don't understand hmm. how, how the CBC has such a uh, hypnotic lock on people's brains. I don't get well, it. And, yeah. And it, the CBC, which fuels into, I mean, as best I can see, and, and this is the problem with this government subsidy is that the CBC has become the the main news source for all the other news sources because they're getting a billion and a half dollars. So they're they're one of yeah. the few organizations that can pay for a full team yeah. of reporters and pay them yes. decently well. And yeah. then so yeah. all the other news agencies have to rely on their stories from the CBC. Yeah. So it's it's not just the CBC itself, even though many of us ignore yeah. them, it's that they yeah. feed the narrative across this whole country. 
and it's yeah. based in lies, as we certainly saw in Ottawa. So, so you get yeah. thrown into the mix of this whole Ottawa yeah. thing, and then um, you're—I assume you're—you're kind of military spider sense just came in, and you jumped into yeah. things. So, like, what what did that look like? What was your regular day to day in the middle of all that? Well, uh, you know, the whole my role started to uh, evolve. Um, so, I got there in in the the. The, the biggest analogy that I could use is that it's like a, it's like somebody, and, and again, I don't, I don't mean to sound um, uh, high on the horse here, but it's like a commander going to the field, deploying to the field with his, with his army and never actually having met his commanding officers, his, his company commanders, his platoon commanders, has no idea where his vehicles are, what vehicles they have, like the composition of any of this, like, you know nothing about the army that has literally deployed to the field into a battle and you're just showing up on day one so a couple of things that that i really had to focus on was um i got to figure out who are doers right so I'm, I'm looking for alphas so in this crowd i'm looking for alphas that don't just talk they actually talk and they get stuff done so that took me a couple of days and i can tell you right now Bridget's an alpha. Like the, I, I worked with some pretty phenomenally strong women in that thing. And they were in, in the guys too. And the, there's a difference between someone who talks and there's a difference who, who actually gets stuff done. Mm -hmm. So I had to be very, because you got to remember, nobody had to listen to a bloody thing. I said, nobody had mm -hmm. to listen to anything. I wasn't signing paychecks or doing anything. I was just trying to try to make sound decisions and keep people relaxed and, and, um, you know, focused on what needed to be done and not to get distracted by some of the outside confusion. And so that was a big challenge, figuring out who are the people that I could rely on. And then the second thing was, where in the hell is everybody? Do we have fuel? Do we, do we have like, are we able to support every one of these people in their trucks? That took a long time. I think it was uh, Mike Stack who finally went out in, on day four and came back with a truck count of 322 trucks just in the inner core, right? And we tried to figure out where all of them were. And I remember me and Bridget and a couple others were using sticky notes on our map with numbers saying, okay, we got this here, we got bobtails there, we got these numbers all over the place. So, you know, trying to figure out situationally where we were was difficult because yeah. convoy, like some of the truckers would come into the city and then they disappear. And then new ones would come in and change all our numbers and location. <laughs> So, and it's not like, you know, like it, you said, it's not like any of them reported to you. So it's not like you could get on yeah. the radio and be like, yeah. hey, truck number 53, yeah. you need to move up here. Yeah, yeah. And he'd just be like, yeah. F you. No, I'm not. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. And I, I never remember being in a room on day 11 and, and it, was, it was a packed room of uh, like block captains. And I said, hey, who raise your hand here if you have no idea who I am. And three quarters of the room put their hand up. And I was, I like, was in oh, that shit. meeting. I do. Yeah. Uh, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So and, I, had, and, I guess I had, I hadn't met you, but I was in that meeting. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh man, this is bad. This is really yeah. bad. Right. So, um, you know, I, I accepted responsibility for my failure to be able to communicate properly, but I also said, guys, like it's a, it's day 11. Like this was an excuse we could have used day four five and six, but day yeah. 11, I, we can't do this. And I said, if, if you hear people in their trucks right now that are complaining, Tell them to stop feeling sorry for themselves and realize what the big picture really is about here. We, we, we have to be here and do this. 
And I would often say like, look, the only easy day was yesterday because every day going forward, it's going to be a little bit more uncomfortable for us. You're living in vehicles, right? You're not. So like that was, uh, that was difficult. And then, oh crap. Sorry. Did I lose you? Sorry. I just hit the thing by accident. Sorry. Nope. We're still there. (laughs) Yeah. Then when Drew showed up, uh, Drew totally took a lot of the day-to-day stuff off my plate. And by then, and I didn't know this, but I got COVID and I know it was Chris Barber who gave me COVID. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I started getting sick while I was there too. But then when, uh, Drew showed up and started to really, really get a grip on that day-to-day stuff. And he was doing some great things with everybody. Um, then I, I started moving more with the lawyers, uh, Keith and, and Eva, uh, and then other people just trying to, trying to angle this thing so we could start getting a meeting. And if we got a meeting, what would it be about? What would we do? Like, how would we get this all going? Uh, so we, we did form a board of directors. You know, there was other people. There was a lot of input all the time, all the time in, in strategizing and stuff. I'm, I'm not the mastermind behind a lot of this stuff, but it was just talking to the right people and getting a good common operating picture of the situation on the ground. And then how could we get into... Um, a meeting with these guys and once we did how would that meeting go so when drew got there he he did a phenomenal job with everybody corralling all of that and making it work and then um then i i started working on more of the strategic piece uh not the tactical level stuff the strategic piece with the lawyers and in the other stakeholders um and uh, you know i didn't do any media stuff until after they raided coventry which was at the baseball diamond. They went in and confiscated all that, uh, that fuel. Um, so, you know, that's the first time it was a, a full week after that I had done any of the media stuff. And I, and that night I wasn't even going to do it. I'm like, I don't want to be on the, I want nothing to do with the, uh, the media. I know um, the, the but, feeling nobody saw my face until, uh, yeah. the last couple yeah. days I finally turned yeah. the camera <laughs> around. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I guess the first night maybe was my tryout uh, for whether the, the rest of the group was comfortable with me doing media. Uh, I remember uh, the very first time I did a, a live statement with, um, I think, uh, Lincoln J from Rebel Media was right there on his phone live streaming it. And Dr. Laura Braden and I and her husband, Pat, were in my hotel room for like two hours writing, drafting my statement. And... Um, then I delivered it and it was the first sort of deliberate thing that I had, had done. And I'm telling you, you know, I've spoken to large groups of soldiers before I taught in the classroom. I never had any issues with my nerves, but for some reason, the context, I almost actually threw up during the live stream. I was so bloody nervous. Um, my top lip stopped functioning. You know, my mouth was dry. I was really struggling to pronounce uh, words, but it had to be done. Right. And the, and the things that I wanted to say had to be said. And so as time went on, I got more comfortable with it, uh, obviously. And then we get to the the last two days and I had done two back-to-back um, uh, life um, statements or press conferences. And then on the final day, when I announced that we were going to peacefully withdraw, um, you know, that, that will forever be probably the worst day of my life um, or one of the worst days of, of my life is, is giving that 
news to all of our supporters. But it wasn't my decision. I, I was in support of withdrawing. I, I was. Um, but we made that as a group with as many of the leadership that were still uh, free people that were not arrested or run out of town or told by the lawyers to get out of town. Um, the, the few of us that were actually left on the ground, we, we did our best to get everyone together. And we decided as a group that that would be what the plan was because we, we had nothing to gain by, by having people beaten in the streets. They had guns. We had bouncy castles and flowers. Right. So. That, so you made a decision to, to leave that interesting. I never got that memo. <laughs> what, how was yeah. that? Uh, no, this is, yeah. this is it, I hadn't come yeah. across this before. So you, yeah. Uh, yeah. cause I know there had been discussions about, whether yeah. people should leave or not. Yeah. Of course, it didn't matter who said what. There was going to be people who stayed. But yeah. um, you actually yeah. released yeah. a public statement suggesting to leave? Yeah, I did. We, uh, I, I actually delivered the statement uh, on a live stream. And, and uh, there was a, this disgusting troll who was sitting beside uh, Andrew Lawton. Um, mm. And one other guy who asked a really boneheaded question during you know the worst moment of my life just about. Uh, and I, and I remember calling the guy out saying, I, I, look, I told you guys, I'm not going to answer Tanya Harding stupid questions anyway. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't explain the whole context. Like the, the public never understood why I was calling it a Tanya Harding question, but I had told everyone in the room just prior to going live that, you know, in April 7, 1994, Rwanda had exploded into a civil war and 800,000 Rwandanese were murdered in the first month. But all the Western public wanted to hear about was some unknown figure skater named Tanya Harding got clubbed in the knee. And that's all people wanted to talk about, not the Rwandanese, but Tanya Harding. So I said, if I've got people out there getting attacked and beaten and arrested by the police. If you ask me a Tanya Harding question right now, I'm going to call you out on it. So we did. I, I the, the, the issue was I delivered the statement because I was the only one known to the public that hadn't been arrested yet. <laughs> and I didn't know where I didn't know where half the people were, right? I, what, I, like, why I do you think you didn't get arrested? Yeah, Rebel Rebel came to my house with uh, Alexa Lavoy, and, and she asked me that question. And I said, you know, I, I, I'm not entirely sure. Every day the last week, I called the OPP and I said, hey, is there an, a warrant for my arrest today? They're like, hang on, we'll check. And there wasn't. We'll there check. Never was, right? Let me yeah, we'll the, check. the list yeah. of people we're trying to arrest today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my accounts got frozen and everything like everyone yeah. else, but, um, I never got arrested. I never really found out why other than this, I, they know the police know how hard I worked to always keep that safe and responsible. I worked with the police to try to keep safety lanes open for emergency vehicles. Like my, my mm -hmm. son, in the second week I was there, my son, who has a, a very complex medical condition, actually went by ambulance from his home to the hospital while I was in Ottawa. He was home, thankfully, at five o'clock in the morning the same day. But, you know, is is a vital importance to me that we never denied somebody access to emergency services, whether it be police, fire, or ambulance or anything else. So we did that and we worked with the police very, very diligently to make sure that that stuff was always uh, a priority for us. And we made mm -hmm. sure they knew it was a priority. In fact, I told the city manager that it was a vital priority for us and that I had told them I'm committed to it because of my own child. And there, there was no way I was ever going to accept that we would intentionally block roads from emergency vehicles. Right. Right. So, so they 
perhaps felt it was it was better to have have you there um yeah. communicating messages a, a like to that work with. To, mm. yeah yeah and but yeah. i when i got home for the first month and a half i was looking over my shoulder everywhere i wasn't allowed to <laughs> take my daughter anywhere because her mother said she's not going in a car with you because you're going to be arrested and then my daughter is going to be in their custody right yeah, it was a very weird feeling i i ended up putting up a camera at my place and because i was yeah. like well i want yeah. a little advance notice that the police are knocking on the door and just yeah. these, and then I'd hear sirens go by sometime and think like, are they showing up at my yeah. place? Me too. Me too. Yeah. Every time the lights flashed, I thought, here we go. Actually, there was a fire truck pulled up right across at my neighbor's. It was a, a, a false alarm, but all, I didn't hear sirens. All of a sudden I saw these flashing red and blue yeah. lights yeah. and I just peek yeah. out the curtain, like half expecting them to come up my lane. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it uh, definitely never experienced paranoia like I did uh, during that time. Oh, I know. I know. I know. It was, uh, it was, it was awful. I mean, uh, you know, there, I worked with three police officers primarily. There was a fourth one and, uh, I, I didn't have much to do with her. I spoke a few times to the, uh, per, the, um, the parliamentary police on the phone, really nice police officer. I spoke to, she was great. Uh, but then I had the two Ottawa police police, li police liaison team. I won't, I won't give their names or anything, but I, you know what? Sometimes when I was negotiating or talking to them, there's a little bit of showmanship there, right? Like you got to kind of present a certain thing. And when I did my master's, I focused on actually negotiations, right? And I've done other training on negotiations. So, you know, that was a, an incredibly frustrating uh, negotiation that I often had with, with uh, those two individuals. But my OPP guy uh, was excellent. Great guy. Really liked him. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's a video of me um uh, Leanne had, uh, I had called the morning that we announced that we were going to peacefully withdraw. And I had called the OPP at, uh, 10.03 in the morning. And I, and, and Leanne said, I'm going to record this conversation for evidence in the future to say that you called <laughs> and told them, well, uh, you know, it, and then she released it about a week later. Um, and unfortunately I was swearing my head off and I'm like, man, my dad's going to see that. I was so embarrassed, but, uh, I felt bad because I was swearing quite a bit at Andrew. He didn't deserve it. But he was just getting things know. were tense. And there's a funny, yeah, there's a, there's actually a really funny part in the thing where I was a moment like just before I was watching on on CBC the, the police beating people in the street, and then Andrew, I I had said to Andrew, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, you guys are beating people like in the, I'm watching it on TV, and and Leanne pans the camera over the TV, and it was a commercial. There was nothing on there. It looked like I was lying to the guy. Like I was oh. just literally watching it, and now I look like a dumbass. You know that it never happened. <laughs> well, that was that lying. was a message for a while. I I remember yeah. people saying these were fake yeah. videos, and uh, there was yeah. no tear gas, and and no guns oh. were ever raised. Yeah. And yeah. I I responded to a few people on on Twitter because yeah. this is great. Uh, yeah. I don't know, great is the right term, but there's this clear clip on, from the top of the shed where there's this cloud yeah. of tear gas that comes pouring out yeah. of the crowd. And I like tweeted yeah. back at one of these people who, yeah. one of these blue checks who were like, oh, there was no tear gas. It was all fine. And I'm like, yeah. what's, yeah. explain what this is. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I think they came out and said that it wasn't tear gas. It was a, an irritant of some kind. I'm like, oh, well, it's a gas yeah. that made people tear yeah. up. So I'll call Yeah, it's it meant to disperse people. It's enough. Yeah. yeah. They, it's a, it's it was, a non lethal weapon. I know. And it, yeah. I, I, and I go both ways on that. Cause I've thought about that before of like, uh, you know, in theory, if everyone had triumphantly convoyed 
out of the city. Yeah. It, it, it might have been a beautiful thing, but they, it, yeah. we all know in re- reality, it, it came down to yeah. every single person there. And certainly on our group on Wellington Street, nobody forced yeah. anyone to leave. And the guys who did take off, people gave them hugs and cheered them on their way. And it yeah. it was an individual yeah. decision that each trucker made on whether they were going to stay yeah. or not. Yeah. And nobody yeah. could have told them otherwise. Yeah, and I and I in the video uh, to the OPP, I stated that clearly. I said, "Listen, we're advising that they go, but they're truckers, they're adults, and unlike the government, we're going to actually let them decide what is best for themselves. We are advising them to go. It's up to them whether they want right. to go. You couldn't force them. If there's, you there's no Osama bin Laden here controlling the shots, guys. Yeah. Like, so uh, you know, no, and like it, you it said, was, most uh, most of them didn't. Your name meant nothing to the most of them. No, even yeah, by the end exactly. of exactly. It, it really didn't. It, it didn't. Or Nobody knew name. who I was. Yeah. No. And, and we did that deliberately too, right? Like you couldn't walk down the street with Chris Barber. Forget it. It was like walking down the street with a rock star. Everybody on the street yeah. knew who Chris was. Um, and and so, you know, Chris could was a trucker. Trick. Chris, everybody knew who Chris was. So when he went, it's like, like Chris, they don't know, have a clue who I. Can you go and talk to them about this thing? He's like, yep, because that's what Chris really liked. Chris liked to be face to face with the truckers, and, and and they all knew who he was. So that, that's how a lot of times we had to deliver messages, like little guys like Chris or Bridget or everyone, to go out and say, "This is what we need to do," and, and they had to right. go out and do it right. Um, so, yeah, and it's hard for people who weren't there to quite kept because yeah. you say, "Oh, like yeah. why wouldn't you just send a, a runner to go send a me-? because." There was like There's 20, so, who knows how, yeah. so many different organizations. Yeah. And I remember one of the yeah. first days yeah. when I started yeah. getting more involved with this, um, yeah. I tried to give someone my number and I said, reach out to me. I can yeah. help you with this. And they're like, how yeah. do you know, how do I know I can listen to you? And I'm, and then they showed me like a stack oh, yeah. of, of paper that they'd received of like, oh, there's this organization, there's this guy's number, this yeah. guy's yeah. card. Yeah. They're all telling yeah. me they can help me. And eventually they all just would throw it all out. So I, I, yeah. I had to, to sometimes sit in a truck for like an hour or two uh, before the guy yep. would give me his phone number because they just oh, yeah. didn't know yeah. who to listen yeah. to. <laughs> and and you know what? Uh, we we really, honestly, we we tried so hard to get really good, accurate information. It was it was so difficult. And we we actually got uh, uh, Drew in, and um, other people had purchased a trial version and then Drew ended up getting fleeced for almost two grand. Uh, a trial version of this SMS texting service so that the truckers would give us a thing and we'd send out a daily uh, situation report on what was going on or things we wanted. But we were actually writing up something and then printing off hundreds of copies every single day and then handing them out. The one great thing that we did is we had a team of pro bono lawyers came in from the street and said, we're here to help you guys pro bono. And they did an English and French front and back thing to say, this is what happens if you get arrested and here's the phone numbers to call. We handed those out to everybody. In fact, you know, it's really funny. I was at a barbecue a few weeks ago and a guy walked up to me and he said, uh, he said, before I tell you who I am, I'm going to show you. And he showed me a picture of my forearm, right? He showed me a picture of my forearm with the lawyer's number on it. Cause I had written it in permanent ink on my number in case I had been arrested, they would confiscate everybody. So I needed to know the lawyer's number. And uh, so I met this guy on the street and he's like, yeah, I heard there's a number, like who should I call? And I said, here, just take a picture of my arm. I ran into him and at a barbecue. It was awesome. 
Yeah. Oh, man. And uh, like, but I mean, it, it it's crazy get- the connections. I, I've gotten phone calls yeah. from people. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and I thought I just met them, but then their name comes up on my phone. You know, it'll be like, uh, Jim who has a, a truck with a slip tank and I'm like, Oh, apparently we talked yeah. in Ottawa. I, you, I have you as Jim who has a truck with a slip tank <laughs> and just these people are all are. Co- I'm sure yours is the same. Our contact lists were, uh, were quite yeah. a mess in Ottawa. Uh, mine okay. were always yeah. the name and then what they could offer. It was like, so-and-so has yeah. a place to stay. Yeah. So-and-so can drive people around. <laughs> so, yeah. So. yeah. 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 <laughs> like, you know, we, we, I was only on the ground for 22 days. The entire time, like from start to finish was 22 days. Um, it, it would have taken the army months to plan that whole entire thing. If it was a military operation, it would have taken months to plan that. Uh, in fact, we would have actually practiced deploying it and then and then like actually living in those conditions for a while gone back done a lessons learned rejigged the plan and then re redeployed for the real thing we would have rehearsed it we right? just went for it we just all we just showed up we, we yeah. jumped off the deep end and said okay i hope there's water there yeah. and that's basically how it went right um so what we were able to do is is nothing short of a miracle uh i mean there's there's always I know I, I like we did a in the army, we saw have something called an after action review or an AAR. Uh, Drew had written up and Jeff and a other bunch of people have written up AAR after action review points. And we sent it down to the convoy in, in the States to share it, to say, hey, these are the lessons we you need to focus on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they ever uh, responded to it or anything, but, you know, it was an honest attempt to, to share the knowledge and the experience that we had gained. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, 27 countries had their own, uh, convoy as a result of Bridget's idea and Chris's actions and, and Tamara's actions. And then everybody else who jumped on board, uh, I didn't start the convoy, you know, I'm, I'm not the official spokesperson of the convoy. I just happened to be one of the gears in a, in a big giant machine, uh, so, you know, what Canada did, what Canada did is inspire the world to do something great. Uh, it wasn't Tom Morazzo at all. Like, I, I, I'm so deeply honored and humbled to have even ever been given the opportunity to participate. Um, but I will say when there are mistakes, a lot of the mistakes I know that had happened that are, are my mistakes, I, I do live with the mistakes. I'm frustrated by the things that I had done or the rookie mistakes that I will never, ever repeat again uh, come this June uh, or in the future. But, you know, it's uh, it, it was it was a phenomenal thing to see. And what's really great is Trucker uh, Trucking for Freedom, which is a documentary that has they've already released the first episode. Uh, every 45 days, there'll be an episode of Trucking for Freedom. And it was Andrew Peloso and Jeremy uh, that co-directed it. Um, and a great team. I'm actually going to be in an interview on Friday in the Niagara region. They're doing follow-up interviews. They're in Ontario uh, for a whole group of us that were, were that had participated. Um, so really, the public is going to get to see this story. They're going to yeah, get to and see, you see the, the truth slowly getting out. And even in the mainstream media, you see yeah. more, you know, like the admittance from the police that they didn't ask for the emergency act yeah. and yeah. It, it keeps yeah. trickling out yeah. and, and the kind of house of cards gets yeah. or a, a Jenga set where we keep pulling yeah. out little pieces yes. here and there. 
Uh, that yeah. documentary is phenomenal, by the way. If you guys haven't seen Trucking for Freedom yeah. Episode 1, it's available on my YouTube page. And yeah. uh, Trucking for Freedom Episode 2, I've talked to the directors, and uh, he's going to let me yeah. live stream it uh, as yeah. well on, on my channel as well. So you'll be able to catch it live uh, on yeah. YouTube as well. So, yeah. But share Every that out with everyone, right? Because like, yeah. that's how people, they need to see... Yeah. Yeah. They need to see what we saw, and then that's yeah. the best way yeah. to see it. And that the, the so, into the second and third episode, we'll start to see yeah. the down more of the downtown. Yeah, yeah, we will, we will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know the plan. The long term plan is actually to take the best of those six episodes and condense it into a feature movie. And yeah, that was my understanding. On one of the mainstream uh, platforms, hopefully, but. Who knows? Who knows? Well, there's I, a chance I, if, if yeah. and I see. I mean, I've already seen with what I'm doing here on YouTube. Six months ago, most yeah. of these videos would have been deleted and certainly yeah. all demonetized. Yeah. I mean, it still gets some of them yeah. demonetized depending on what we talk about, but yeah. but it's there and they're yeah. not deleting us. And so I think we'll start to see some of that when they pitch this documentary. They were turned down yeah. by everyone, but yes. as you know, they're. Yeah. Th- these companies want to make money and there's money yeah, to be yeah. made with it. Yeah. If, if you're yeah. the first one to have a, a professional documentary yeah. on what is perhaps the, you know, the, well, definitely I would say in yeah. Canada, the, the largest grassroots uh, protest that we've ever seen, uh, you're yeah. going to be, wa- want to be the first guys to have a film about that. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm hopeful that again, it's going to take time, but it will get out to the masses eventually, but yeah. you guys can yeah. watch it first. So <laughs> I, I, I've actually been, uh, Eva, uh, the lawyer that I was with, with JCCF, I've actually been thinking long and hard about writing a book, uh, mm-hmm. about my experience with it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to, I, I want to, but I'm, I, I feel kind of like, um, it's not entirely my story to tell. And so I want to be very careful and I want to, I want to figure out how I would be able to tell my version of it in in the most respectful possible way i i can um right. i'm no I, i've just I've more, thought about that too and I, you yeah. know I, I don't mean to cut you off but i, I think the yeah. it, it, what it is a hard story to tell because it is no one and i'm sure people like i'm sure tamara would have the same feelings and anyone yeah. it like you feel you feel uh arrogant or yes yes yeah yes it, it doesn't it's yeah. not a pro because it's a story of of a group and yeah I, the one thing I pondered just thinking out loud is, is whether there'd be, um, you know, whether you'd have a, a, a group of, uh, of people, you know, it would take the right author to be able to spin yeah. all the stories together. I actually send a pitch to Eric Metaxas cause that would be my dream author to do something like that. But someone of that caliber who could spin yeah. all these stories together into a, a, a historical narrative of what really happened and whether, you know, you'd set it up as uh, you know, just, submit all royalties to a certain charity or something you could all yeah. agree on and yeah. you all yeah. you all pour your stories in you you meet with this author yeah. and we weave yeah. together a, a, a tale i know that um the true north like uh they're they're andrew. releasing yeah andrew's yeah. releasing a book and rebels releasing a book and and yeah. those will will start to paint the picture but it, yeah. it really deserves a, a proper like uh you know that that book that will be on the history shelves one day and yeah, that book hasn't yeah. been written yet and it needs to be well, written it's funny because uh you know in the early days of this before i ever even did any any uh public statements uh i had said to a, a lot of people like even laura braden and her husband pat i said you know when the history book is written about this convoy if my name never appears in it i'm, I'm okay with that i'm perfectly right with that 
And now here I am actually talking about writing the very book that I didn't even care to be part of. It's not about me. It's a, it's a Canadian story. Uh, I just hope that, you know, I can, I can be respectful. I can, I can capture what it really was. Now, from my point of view, I, I will admit, um, from, from mine, it would be normal that there would be more of a leadership slant to mine. Um, and not, not because I'm sitting there going, Hey, I'm, I'm general Patton. That's, that's not at all what it would be about. It's just that in the position I was in, um, I had probably the biggest, most, the grandest, most important leadership challenge of my entire life was in those 22 days. And so I think that it's, it's about the convoy, but it's about people that are, are too afraid to come forward and to get involved in this convoy because they're too shy or they, they, they don't want to take a step forward. Um, and I mean, I, I was interviewed for uh, somebody through LinkedIn who said he teaches leadership. He wants to, to have me there. So we did a, a podcast together. Um, I've never seen it, but I think that that's an angle that maybe needs to be explored as well. Um, I was given a unique opportunity of a lifetime uh, that, that not a lot of people have ever been offered in, in this day and age, maybe not since, uh, you know, a, a past war. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm in a really good position to, to talk about leadership of that. Uh, and, and uh, believe me, I will talk about failures. I will absolutely talk about my failures, the, the things that I really screwed up that I didn't know that I didn't know. And so I made errors that if I were to go back today, I wouldn't make those exact same errors today. But in the future, there's no excuse for the errors that I had made. So I, I want to be able to contra- contrast that, right? Uh, I don't know. Maybe my, my story would be, be more able to a business school or something like that. It, it'd be know. absolutely impossible not to make mistakes when when yeah. we're literally all making it up as we go. And yes. I, uh, I can never effectively... It's so clear in my head, but to effectively communicate what a day in the life of being down on like the streets yeah. was was yeah. like is just absolutely my. I really wish I'd kept a, a journal. I actually usually do on my travels, but this was so like every day was packed <laughs> that you'd yeah. by the time you'd drop onto yeah. my bed, it was just I'd yeah. be out and then inevitably get a call yeah. at like four or five in the morning and be back yeah. at it again. Yeah. Um, and, so and joke, it, it was quick. Yeah. Hmm. It was quite I, I joked about like I said to Andrew and or, or uh, Ryan. Um, I was saying like, can we hire a ghostwriter to follow us all around? Because this is going to be a good a good book, right? Right at, at the uh, time, yeah, at, at the point. time. Yeah. And then I never, I never even thought maybe I should make a journal. Yeah, but I was too sick with COVID half the time. Stressed. The out closest mostly. thing I have is is my lives. So, but those didn't yeah. start until yeah. until yeah. later. Yeah. But uh, you know, yeah. they, they that's what I mean. It would take the proper it would take uh the proper minds yeah. and a lot of work to to pull together all these i mean yeah. the resources are out there there's the live feeds yeah. from all the different people and you could you could get the story together but it would be quite the yeah. uh, the journey but it would be a book yeah. worth reading that's for sure yeah um so i want to well yeah, I, the, the last thing i'll say about it is um when i when i was teaching i would always tell my students like do not be afraid of failure uh now, this is in the context of learning, right? 
and and I've always gone by this saying that I read. I think I read it on a rich dad poor dad book. I don't know, but it basically says, uh, "Life punishes you first, and then it teaches you the lessons." Now, you know, in the context of the convoy, you don't have a lot of wiggle room to make big mistakes, right? And in combat, in the army, or any any training like that, like you're flying an airplane, you don't get to make mistakes, right? They, they could get people killed. So, you know, there's, I'm not afraid to make mistakes and I'm certainly never afraid of being wrong because the best lessons I've ever learned in my life were things that I, I got wrong the first time. And that's the ones that emotionally I'm tied to. And that's the ones that stick. When I get something right the very first time, it's very easy to forget. Ask Tiger Woods, does he remember all the great shots or the ones that really sting and burn or the ones that, you know, the one footer that he missed? from the whole like so i believe in learning through making mistakes it's just how do you turn those into a win how to, into something positive yeah so i want to um sure get into talking about veterans for freedom yep. and uh so i, I want to um yeah i want to jump right into this uh article yeah. that kind of set the tone uh for this yep. because some people would have seen this article today let me just pull it up here, so this article I shared it out on on Facebook yeah. today. Of the Canadian military veteran plays outsized role in extremist anti-government movements, uh, yeah. says report, and it goes on to to list uh, veterans for freedom and and Rolling Thunder, yeah. and uh, the infamous Diagonal, yeah. and uh, and how yeah. you know essentially it it doesn't oh, it directly call it all you know white supremacist terrorists, yeah. but that's certainly. Yeah certainly yep. the vibe that it it, it hints yep. at so uh, yeah. tell us what veterans for freedom is really all about and and respond to that article okay uh so so in in veterans for freedom is a group of uh four of us on the steering committee we're all in ottawa we all met together in ottawa sammy who is the the fifth member of the beatles <laughs> i'm just joking sammy was actually in windsor Sammy was a, 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 a friend of ours. Andrew and Sammy worked together in recruiting uh, in Toronto together. Uh, Sammy is, a, is a, a long friend I've had too. And Sammy was arrested there. We got the full scoop on what was going on in Windsor uh, through Sammy, but not really while we were in Ottawa. We, we, we were deliberate to keep it uh, separate, right? But all the veterans, when we came home, uh, Andrew and Sammy and a couple others had this idea to come up with a new organization, a new group. And uh, we call it Veterans for Freedom. And, and, you know, we are, it says right on our, our mission statement on our website, talks about that we are a, uh, a peaceful veterans organization committed to uh, lawful civic action, right? Not, we're not extremists, none of that kind of stuff. Uh, the best way to describe us, and it's a terrible analogy for a bunch of rough and tough uh, veterans, um, but we look at it like, let's say Action for Canada or Police on Guard or Mounties for Free, somebody, somebody wants to have it a big event. They get a hold of us. We will organize the entire logistics of the event. So the analogy is one of those organizations who wants to do the event, they're kind of like the bride and the groom. We're the wedding planners. They focus on the nice the nice stuff. We'll take care of all the logistics piece. So that's one of the big mandates that we have. But what that also means is that we, we want to build strong relationships with local governments and local law enforcement so that when they hear 
that Veterans for Freedom is sponsoring an event, they say, oh, that's awesome. That's right. great. That's great. They're, if they're going to do it, we know there's not going to be any BS. So we have publicly come out and we've denounced a whole bunch of groups that are very extremist in their views. We've denounced violence. We, you know, we, th this issue that had come out with uh, uh, the cadets, we remedied that situation. We didn't make a big public deal about it. We got those kids on board aircraft. You know, we have done a lot of community stuff. We have another uh, thing that we're doing where our veterans are now going to periodically go to all these war memorials and clean them, right? We're doing community activism work and we are monsters. committed to, yeah, monsters, exactly, right? We're committed to- And, and, and Rolling Thunder, if people aren't aware, uh, yeah. Veterans yeah. for Freedom yeah. have played a big role in, in yeah. making that an organized still event. And it was, you know, exactly yep. the event that uh, that Neil and the team said yep. it was going to be. Yep. And they yep. communicated exactly. with police and it all it all yep. went off. Yep. Great. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's that was an initiative. So Neil is part of Veterans for Freedom. Right. He's one of the members. We have over a thousand members, all veterans. And, you know, we we sponsored that. Uh, Chris Deering was a big part of that for us. Chris laid the wreath at the monument that day. Unfortunately, I couldn't go because I was campaigning and I had a very big fundraiser that had a huge impact on, on my ability to continue. Uh, but I, I, I watched it live stream uh, while I was, not while I was behind the wheel, but uh, <laughs> it was heartbreaking to not be there. I, I, I tell you right now, it was, it was awful to not be there, but very, very proud of the people that, that organized that. And, you know, that what people had to understand is that we had op dignity. That was in response. That was an attempt to restore dignity back to the National War Memorial and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier because of what the police did to the veterans at the very foot of that monument and what it means to us and how the police desecrated that by literally attacking veterans with their berets on and their medals and, 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 and beating them and resting them and dropping them off, you know, out in the country. Chris Deering was literally dropped off in the country after he was beaten and arrested by the cops. Like this is, yeah. this is what happened on that day and the public needs to know it. So that was yeah, they treated us like a bunch of animals. I, I was animals, dropped off in exactly. the parking lot. I don't too. know how those cops, I don't know how those cops live with themselves or what they've done. Uh, they like, listen, one of my dearest friends where I am currently right now, uh, my, one of my best friends is a police officer. I don't have issues with police officers. I have issues with those individuals that were willing to do that to their own veterans. That's the, there's a difference. Like there's a lot of really great virtuous police in every community. There's not enough of them. And we as a public have to find out who the best of the best are in the police departments and stand behind them so that they can rise to the top in the ranks and become chiefs of police and then start rebuilding the reputations of their departments. We can't ask them to turn their backs on policing. They, they serve their community, right? They, that's what they do. There's like a small minority of police that literally join to serve their community, right? So I'm frustrated by that event. And I was really frustrated that I couldn't go to it. Um, but now go fast forward, elected or not, I will be in Ottawa with James Top at the end of June. I will awesome. absolutely be there. <laughs> Guess who else will be there? Yeah. Derek Sloan will also be there marching into the city with him. Whether he's elected, not elected, or maybe he's even the premier, he will be walking in with James on that day. Right. Um, Do, is there much more you can tell us about how that day is going to look? Or I know the veterans I, yeah. are, are doing a big part of organizing that, but it's in the works yeah. though. 
Yeah, I, the, the reason I can't is just because I'm not fully read in. So I've been uh, detached. Uh, I, I get regular updates. I talk to uh, the team uh, daily. And, and let me just say this. Um, Veterans for Freedom have detached me from uh, James's arrival, but I still talk to James. James and I are old friends. We've known each other from 96. I talked to him last week. Like him and I are old friends. We're good with all this. Um but Andrew and Sammy and the other guys, they're really the driving force behind the entire organization. You know, and Jake Spinney, uh, I, I jokingly call Jake my CBC uh, public affairs liaison person. Um, <laughs> but we have such an amazing team of veterans that are fully committed to this. And, you know, Bridget wants selection- to know, are you are you picking Demon and I up? If you want. I don't know. <laughs> Who's Bridget, Demon? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she spelled it wrong. Bridget Belton, are you picking Demon and I up? I'm not sure who Demon I is. I don't know either, <laughs> but we'll figure it out. But anyway, like we're going to be there. We're going, whether I'm elected or not. Uh, and it just depends on the capacity that I'm in because you know what? We're we're going to hit the government on the front of James Top in, in the coalition that we're building there. And Derek and I are going to be, oh, the dog. Yeah, and Derek and I... <laughs> Yeah, Derek and I are going to be fighting Doug Ford on his turf, right? But either way, I will be there. If I have to take a day off work, I don't know what that means, but I've never been elected uh, to this stuff. But um, so you'll get there. Yeah, we'll we'll get there, but we will be there because we need to make this a, a combined effort. Right. June 30th is uh, is the arrival date, correct? That's the planned arrival date. Uh, Now, if I'm not elected. If I'm not elected, then my full-time mission in life will become uh, Canada marches with James Top arriving and doing all that that planning. Um, I, I mean, I've got great options either way, right? I can I can be fighting Doug Ford or I can be fighting Justin Trudeau. So I I, I don't care which way I'm gonna. I'm, I've got great options as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, and I'm doing it with phenomenal people. I'm not doing it alone. I'm doing it with true, honest to God, peaceful warriors. Yeah, and I wanted to just point out if you go to uh, Veterans for Freedom's Facebook, they released a statement yep. just regarding that article again, clarifying. Um, here it is here, yep. and uh, yep. you guys can read that on your own time. But uh, yep. V4F is by no means a parallel military organization or a militia, as some people have accused us of being. Our organizational structure is similar to that of the Royal Canadian Legion. Yep. With regional uh, commands, we use acronyms and military lingo, which stands from our military service yep. and that's another long and the short of it but you can go people can go look at that for yourselves yeah. but yeah. um just making it <laughs> clear that this is a uh yeah i, I think like um a more action focused version of the legion uh, is, yeah. is a relatively yeah. good comparison you're very um mission focused and yeah. uh, that mission being standing up peacefully and legally yeah. for the cause of yeah. freedom and supporting yeah. groups that do that and there's absolutely uh, zero evidence that uh, that anything else has or is uh, occurring, and yeah. so it's just it's really shameful for any journalist to. I, I'm curious, did they? Because I saw you were quoting that article. Did they reach out to uh, you? Yeah, yeah. You want to hear a funny thing is because I was. I'll be honest. I was furious. I was. Yeah. I was understandably. Furious. Andrew sent that to me this morning. Uh, I read through it, and I was beside myself, angry because there they insinuated that we were an extremist group 
And they don't, they come out and say, you know, they quoted that, yeah, we're, uh, we're, you know, we're committed to peaceful civic action and stuff like that. But they lumped us all into a big giant basket of extremism, right? The, the average consumer of that article isn't going to distinguish it. They're going to look at the title, see our name in there and lump us in. And so yeah. I was, I was, I was pretty angry and uh, I copied uh, one of the lawyers and I also sent a, an email directly to the author. And I, and I said, I want a retraction because you know what? You just accused us. You insinuated, you slandered and insinuated that we were a, an a terrorist organization, domestic yeah. terrorist group. Well, because they're clever. They use word. They have terrorists, white supremacists, yeah, hate group, yeah, all yeah, kind of smattered yeah. in there. And, exactly. and yes, if you read it yeah. carefully, they don't technically yeah. call you that. Yes. Um, yeah. But that's clearly the agenda to, to get people to read into that. So, so then... I, from my email, they updated it. That's why my name appeared in it today after, because they did update the, uh, the thing after my okay. email today. So but, they hadn't, they hadn't reached out for you for comment before they wrote that article. No, they didn't. They didn't reach out to any of us, any of us. But yeah. They were well, that, that makes sense. And that's why yeah. I was a little surprised to see your name in it. Cause I was like, yeah. it doesn't seem like you actually yeah. talked to any of these organizations. Okay. So you yes. saw the original article yeah. reached out, uh, in conjunction with your lawyer and yeah. then they updated it with the yeah. little and statement. I, I, I was furious. And uh, I'll tell you the other thing is for, for the viewers, if you don't know, if anyone watching this doesn't know, when they mentioned Diagonal, okay, this is this is the, the biggest intelligence fiasco failure that I can ever possibly think about uh, ever happening in, in Canada. I want you to understand what Diagonal is, okay? And in Understand that Diagalon's arch enemy is Circle On. Okay. It's a meme. This has come from a meme. Jeremy, like when, when they were trying to justify the Emergencies Act, uh, in in the House of Commons, and the Liberals kept mentioning that the domestic terrorist organization Diagalon. And then Jeremy put out a video laughing, laughing, showing them saying referencing Diagalon, but he's laughing, and I'm like, oh shit, this is bad. I called Jeremy and I said, I know about Diagalon, but you need to tell me everything you can possibly tell me about this thing. He said, Diagalon came from when they lifted the mask mandates in Alaska, Alberta, and Texas. If you draw a line, a diagonal line from Alaska, Alberta to Texas, that's Diagalon. And there are okay, so that I didn't know that's where I I wasn't sure where he got the logo from. I knew it was all a made up country. On his iPhone, he literally opened it up and on a he had a paint app and he dragged his thumb on a diagonal line and that was the logo. <laughs> and and so so Jeremy's imagination, we talked, I I, I laughed about it with Jeremy at the uh, Veterans for Freedom dinner. He says, you know, the, the Canadian government is literally afraid of my imagination because yeah. Diagonal doesn't exist. It's not a thing. It was actually meant, the group was meant as a big meme, a joke to invite people to a barbecue because they lifted some of the mandates. That's what it was all about. It was a big Facebook yeah. joke. No, and, and now, now it's a national security yeah. well, threat. Well, I, I emailed back. And they keep right. holding on to it. They yeah. keep holding on yeah. to it because otherwise, like you said, they'd have to, they'd have to admit that this is the biggest uh, intelligence embarrassment yes. like yes. <laughs> in recent yeah. history. So, so, so what I did is, is I, they sent, okay, we're going to do an update on the thing. They, a little bit of apology, which I accept, but, but I said, you know the story? You know what the real story is? The biggest intelligence joke I've ever heard of in my life is Diagonal. And I told him you could draw a line from Alberta 
to, or sorry, Alaska, Alberta, Texas. You can do that. Yeah. That's what Diagonalon is. And I said, their arch enemy is Circleon. Does that not make you think there's a phenomenal story of an intelligence failure right there? Well, I and, wondered if they even, like, did they even Google, like, if you Google Diagonalon, you can go to Jeremy's website and he's yeah. got the origin story of yes. Diagonalon there. Yeah. And it's like, I don't understand how it literally, these, it, it seems to me when I read that article that they, they saw some other articles about yeah. you and, yeah. and, and spent, maybe two minutes on Google and yes. then they wrote their article yeah. on that. Yeah. And it's like, maybe if you'd upped it to 10 minutes on Google, you probably yes. could have shared the truth. Here, yeah. Here's from diagonalon.org. Yeah. Uh, what is yeah. diagonalon? And so, yeah. yeah, that's what you were talking yeah. about there. The, the map. That's exactly <laughs> it. Right. So, so even get this, Kristen Nagel from frontline nurses in London. She, uh, I was involved in an affidavit for one of her court cases and uh, a, a couple days later, uh, a friend of hers sent her a meme. So, so one of her friends sent an email to the Liberal government, federal member of parliament for London. And then she, her answer, she copied, I got a screenshot of this MP's answer. And she said that Krista Nagel was associated with the domestic terrorist group Diagonalon. And I was just <laughs> like... What the hell goes on in these people's heads, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at the video, you, you, they constantly talked about it in the comments about this. Like this is, this is the RCMP talking to the liberals, right? Like why isn't the RCMP and CSIS running around with their hair on fire saying this is not real, this is bull crap? Well, there's two options, and and yeah. both are terrifying. Like the one yeah. option is they're intentionally lying yes. and labeling. Yes just um, yeah. law-abiding citizens as terrorists. And that's a terrifying yeah. prospect that our own intelligence agency is lying to make the government think that we're terrorists when we're not. Yes. And the other option is they actually think that these people are dangerous, which means what kind of intelligence organization yeah. are you when when the, any anyone with, with internet connection and a laptop yeah. could, could yeah. show that you're completely wrong? Or yeah. just call the guy. I mean, none of, none of you guys are, you, your names are plastered all over uh, the website, yeah. your, your contact yeah. information is not hard to find. Uh, yeah. yep. it, it just, or go to one of the events. I wonder, did that author go to Rolling Thunder? Had he seen any of the events that, that your organization or any others yeah. has participated yeah. in? I, I, uh, I no, they it, get, like, they have this idea in their head and they, yeah. um, they, they, so which do you think it is for the RCMP? Is it where they were intentionally lying or just actual incompetence? Or a third option that I'm not uh, thinking of. There, there, there's a small possibility that the government got an intelligence brief with, with the, you know, something to do with all of us. I'm sure our faces were all on a, a link analysis board somewhere, and uh, or network analysis. I'm sure. And Jeremy came up, and probably Diagonalon came up, and it was widely distorted. And then they got the intelligence brief, and they spread that like wildfire, right? Uh, like Jeremy all of a sudden become the, uh, you know, the, the, the Canadian versions of weapons of mass destruction. Like it was all BS from, from day mm -hmm. one. And they were like, that's all I need. That's all I need. Just give me that and I'll run with it in the thing. And I'll tell all my MPPs, that's the statement you're giving because these, these backbenching MPs, they don't get, you know, read into intelligence briefs. They're just given their talking points. And so that's what a lot of them did. And we saw that over and over and over when they were talking about, they all use the same word about the arson 
every one of them used the word alleged arson, alleged arson, when they were talking about the guy who tried to set fire to the building and lock people in, which had no connection to us. But every MP that cited it, both Jugmeet Singh, the NDP and liberals kept saying the phrase alleged arson, alleged arson. That was a talking point. And then, because they, they, they knew, they knew right and well that yeah. it, it was not true. So then they can cover butt by saying yep. alleged and yeah. yes, yes, exactly. So this, this is where the Canadian public just consumes the CBC and, and takes this as gospel, and it's just it's one big fat lie. And hmm. you know, it's we're our public is lambs to the slaughter. I'm I'm sorry. Um, after two over two years of this stuff, how can you just not see the inconsistencies? They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And it, it, it frustrates me beyond belief because I've been working my butt off. My entire team of volunteers have been working to, to fight to get elected. And now Bridget's an Ontario Party candidate. Vince Gersey's an Ontario Party. Jay up in Sudbury's Ontario Party. And we have great people that all supported the convoy. We're not getting any media attention whatsoever. The public has no clue who we are. And yet we're the ones running around trying to wake everyone up, you know, yeah. to what's really going on around them. Now, I, I don't know if you want to talk about my little uh, TikTok thing <laughs> from last Friday. It's up to you. But I'm getting absolutely lit up in the most brutal way on my TikTok account for, for something that happened last Friday. Yeah, yeah. I, welcome to show. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, yeah, how can you walk away from that, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so you know i've i've been unbelievably privileged that with my experience in the convoy i get to meet the most amazing people the most amazing doctors the the most experienced scientific credentialed minds in this country and in some in the states and so i am fully fully versed on masks right the harms of masks the co2 the polycarbonate the um uh the the asbestos in some cases we're finding the the particles that are being found in people's lungs and autopsies just the the gross harms that these masks are doing to people and on most of the boxes right on the side it says does not stop viral transmission does, yeah. it says no it, it literally it literally says that on says like, that, yeah, any right? ones that i've seen yeah and so like not or not to be used as a medical device or yes yes and i and Mm -hmm. i printed off something from a hazmat book for the firefighting academy today that talked actually about uh uh the harms of masks and not to be you know the 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 cautions against using masks and i do know for a fact that masks in the medical community have been studied for a couple of decades because of the harms that it does for masking to the surgeons and the uh nurses in an or but the thing is, those are those are sterile environments, and those are um, oxygenated environments, right? They're very clean rooms, and and one of the Scandinavian countries is actually they don't wear masks anymore in the ORs, and what they have mm-hmm. found is that there's actually less infections happening in the patients through the medical staff that use a shield and don't use an actual mask, right? So this thing is literally attached to your face; they're one use only. They become a petri dish on your face. So you're susceptible to getting upper respiratory illness, sores in your mouth, sores on your face, uh, carbon monoxide, basically hypoxia, okay, which is a lack of oxygen. And like you're, yeah. when you're saying the mask, it's it's uh, the face shield. It yeah. essentially all it needs to do is a spit shield, right? Yes, so and and we use the face yeah. the face shield does yeah. the same thing. Yeah. It stops yeah. 
if if you cough yep. or something, then there's no yep. droplets that yep. that go so, on them. So, so I've been going to sick kids since my son was a brand new a newborn. So for 16 years, I've been going to sick kids with my son. I spent Christmas this year, this past year, in sick kids for 10 days with my son. And during that time, there was a mask mandate. I wore the mask because I did it for my son. I didn't want to. I've actually zoomed in with my cell phone right to the, the highest magnification. And you could see the graphene wiggling around inside, free-floating in the masks. You can do this. You know the ones with the blue outside, mm -hmm. the cheapy ones that come yeah. from China? Uh, you know, that are... You, anyway, that's not a racist remark. That's actually where they come from, by you know, by the way. So um, masks are very, very harmful to people. And this has been studied in the medical community for decades. I haven't worn a mask in over a year other than when I had to go to sick kids, right? It was serious. Like it was a very serious issue and I wasn't going to not wear it. So anyway, Friday, I've got a, a follow-up appointment with my son's cardiologist and I walked in and they, they they've got a mask mandate at sick kids hospital in Toronto. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't wear a mask for medical reasons. And you know, they're like, okay. And they went and got the supervisor. Supervisor came out and said, okay, so you're, you're not wearing a mask. Does not compute. Doesn't uh... compute, right? I said, okay. So they're like, okay, well, you can't go to your son's appointment. I said, well, she said, if, if you're not able to wear one for medical reasons, would you be willing to wear a shield? I said, yes, I'll wear a shield. I will mm -hmm. wear a shield. She got a shield. I put the shield on my stupid head thinking, okay, this is going to, this is getting better. They actually escorted me to the front of the building, put me behind a closed off section, and then proceeded to tell me that I had to leave the hospital and I wasn't allowed in my son's appointment. Now, my mother... Or my, after my, after you put on the, yeah, the, the zombie yeah. shield and yes. everything. So my... Did they catch mother, on who you were? Is that what oh, you no. think it well, was? Well, I, I did tell her. I did tell her. I said, look, like, so my son's mother was already in the appointment. My son was halfway through. The, they, got, they got him in early to do the tests. It was a follow-up yeah. test. Well, I was pretty irritated. And they said, you can go outside off the property and do a, a virtual call, which I ended up doing. I was on the phone with the doctor while his mother and him were in the in the room. Right? I did all this stuff. So anyway... You're, you're, uh, you had to do a virtual call and just because you're, you're just outside yeah, of the hospital. Yeah. I mean, why did son? they even give me the shield? Why did they give me the shield? Right? What, like if, if the shield had no effect, if I was allowed to wear a mask and not the shield, then why in the hell did they offer the shield as an alternative, which I put on my stupid head? And then I said to the lady, I said, you, you understand uh, like the situation I'm in right now. I don't wear one for medical reasons. So that, that should be where it ends. But the second thing is, I am campaigning against mask mandates in this provincial election. Yeah. I am not going to capitulate to something that I don't believe in and I know to be dangerous and harmful to people's health. And I said, I'm pretty pissed that even my son is wearing a mask right now, right? Because of the danger of the, of the masks. And anyway, mm -hmm. I went outside. Maybe it wasn't a great idea, but I went out in front of sick kids and I did a TikTok. And I explained a lot of this to people. Well, I've got 107,000 views on this TikTok video, and I've got everybody, I, I would say probably 105,000 people calling for me uh, to have my children removed from me because I'm such a disgusting human being. <laughs> like the vicious attacks I have been uh, undergoing for four days. Now, I have posted an article where there's 150, 150 articles written on the dangers of masking people and children. 
I posted another article that said, here's 50 other studies that will prove that this is a thing. I posted a video of Dr. Brian, uh, Byron Bridal and where he explains, he actually puts three masks on his face at one time and then fogs up his glasses through three masks and says, you know what? Like a virus is one micron. Your mask is 80 microns. It's like kicking a fly uh, football boost. Like it does nothing for you. It is. It does more harm than good. And it's just virtue signaling. Anyway, I'm getting it. Yeah, just don't just don't spit on people, right? And if you're gonna yeah. sneeze, like we learned in elementary school, Elbow. you know, do it, Elbow. Do it, do yeah, it into I, your arm. And I've, I've and, said, in the first thirty yeah. seconds of that video, first thirty seconds of the video, I said, "Look, I agreed to wear the shield." I don't think anybody heard that part. Um, hmm. I've been going to that hospital for fourteen years prior. You were presented as an as an alternative, and you yeah. took the alternative, took and the then alter- they kicked yeah. you out of it, the- and they kicked me out. So, I actually. For 14 years prior to that, before COVID, nobody wore a mask. Nobody wore a mask. So I'm getting ripped apart like you wouldn't believe. And and on every and, and all of a sudden block, you're the devil if you the devil. if you don't wear yeah. one. Yeah. And it's and, like, and, and and not that and these people haven't done any research, and that's what boggles my mind of just yeah. how um uh it's like, yes, master, I yes. I obey, I will yes. do as I'm told. Yeah. And it's like it, it freaks me out because it's like, what, right? Of yeah. course, the inevitable question is what else could the government yep. tell you to do and uh, yes. that you would just yep. falsely comply? It's so religious too. Yep. I mean, in a lot of ways, the mass reminds me of or something like, like, a, like a head covering or some yep. other religious symbolism where it's yep. like, it's not about science. It's not about, it's just, this is what we do yep. and you must do it or yep. you are out of the tribe. Yeah. And you know, the same kind of behavior if, yeah. uh, you know, in my community, there's Mennonites and if a, a Mennonite woman decided she was just going to take her head covering off and that, that would, whoa, whoa, oh, like, I know. I know. You're, <laughs> she'd get shunned from the community. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what it is like here where it's like, no, just comply, just, just do what the yeah. other people do, um, yeah. fall in and, uh, if you don't, you're, you're, you're yeah. evil. Yeah. You know, it's and not like, just, we disagree with you. You're dangerous and yeah. evil. And, and here's the, here's the interesting thing. Like I have been called every vile name in the book. Like I, I have had people call for my death. I've had people, no matter how much evidence I provide on there, nobody seems to hear the first 30 seconds where I said, Hey, I agreed to the shield. But here's the, here's the issue there is that then people said, you politicized your son's illness. I mean, my son was fine with it. But here's, here's the thing, with, and your point is exactly the point I'm trying to make. The mask is dangerous. The mask does not work. It is virtue signaling. It is to in order for you to demonstrate your compliance to authority, regardless of the sense that it that makes or does not make. But what is next? I capitulate on the mask. Then what? Next time I go in, I have to provide some of my DNA. Then I have to provide some of my other biometrics. Then I have to give a, 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 a sperm sample, right? I have to give a blood sample. I Like, when does it stop? Now I have to have a vaccine. Yeah, and uh, people, they're okay, with kick, they're yeah. okay with you being kicked out of the hospital. Yeah. Are they okay with you being arrested? Are they okay yeah. with your kids yes. being taken away? Or, you yeah. know, it, it, yeah. it begs the question, where does that end? And, and what level of yeah. government overreach and, yeah. and power yeah. grab are people comfortable with? And what yes. the scary thing, the answer to that yeah. is a lot. And that's what we saw in the last two years. I've never in my life had anything go over 100,000 views. And I would say 107,000 last time I checked. And I think 100,000 at least are people that want me to to lose my children. Like I had a lady today call me and I I hate this word. I hate the word retarded. 
it really offends me. But I had somebody tell me that I was a disgusting human being of a father and that my kids should be taken away and that I was an effing retard. Hmm. And it's like, wait a minute. You just, you just attacked a, 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 a beautiful subset of our society and shamed those people while trying to prove your point about what an awful human being I am. And I would say probably 99% of the comments I get are like that. And and while I'm not bitching about it because it's I'm so toxic, it, so aggressive. Yes. Yeah. It, yes. It, it, there's no, and no. So it's interesting. I get, I get not much actually, which is nice, but I, um, yeah. I get a little bit of hate mail once in a while. Yeah. And then uh, I try to make a point of, of, of attempting to engage because somewhere in the back of my mind, I think yeah. maybe, maybe I can make an impact on this person. And and yeah. so I'll try to engage. Yeah. I'll say, okay, what is the part you're upset about and what? Yeah. And then uh, basically how the conversation always goes. There are a couple exceptions. I thankfully have had a few with some yeah. that we had some positive interaction, but yeah. nine out of 10 of them, it's uh, F you, you're a white supremacist. Like yeah. <laughs> it just jumps to that immediately. I try yeah. to engage them and yeah. then I, I challenge them on their yeah. assumptions yeah. and they say, uh, no, no. And then they just cuss me out and block me is, yes. is how most of those yeah. interactions go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, it, it, the, the anger, the hatred, the vitriol. And yeah. it's one thing if these people, you know, there's going to be evil people out there, yeah. but yeah. They are following the lead of our prime minister. Yes. And that's what makes this so disturbing yes. yeah. is the very, the leader of this country is the one at yeah. the forefront and the originator yeah. of this hate and division that's yeah. spread throughout this whole country. Yeah. And he yeah. is the author and the instigator of it. Yes. And leadership starts at the top. And, and, mm -hmm. and this is the, this is the example that these, these people say. So, you know, you're, you're, I don't think there's any, there's, there's nothing liberal anymore. Like liberalism used to be inclusivity, open-mindedness, inclusion, but I don't see any of that uh, uh, on the, the liberal side of the equation anymore. No. It does not exist. It is, it is a party or it's an, I, I, it, it's nowhere near what it should be or used to it's be. It's a cult. It is a cult. Brand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cult. And honestly, it is, it, it's got its foundations in, in, being not accepting, not inclusive. If you go against me, I'm going to call you every vile thing that I can come up with. I'm not going to try to defend my point with actual data. I'm just going to throw every disgusting thing I can at you, every ounce of anger that I can generate in my body. I'm going to send your way. And they learned it from their... They learned it from their cult leader. Yeah, they learned uh, because it, yeah. every time he Trudeau is asked a question, yeah. he uh, he either yeah. sidesteps the question or he yeah resorts to yeah. you know yeah. personal attacks yeah. and and these yeah. crazy accusations. Yeah, and uh, it's not surprising that uh, yeah. many Canadians follow the, follow that lead and behave yeah. like that when when their prime minister is behaving like I'll, that. I'm gonna I'll do a TikTok probably on Friday in response to all that stuff, I'm just going to let it run for a little bit longer. And I know, I know it's literally going to do nothing, but it's maybe going to provide me with a little bit of therapy. That's about all I'm going to get out of it. But I, uh, like I have been posting all these art, like all the evidence, everything. And, and people don't even look at it. They just jump to, uh, they just jump to the attacks. Right. Yeah, Justine says, uh, yes, he's correct. Liberalism was about all the things we are now fighting them for. I, yeah. That yeah. It, it is yeah. classical liberalism. It, it, yeah. It's crazy that the whole swing that it's all, yeah. it's conservatives fighting for freedom of speech yeah. and 
and just bodily autonomy and uh, yeah. all these things. It's uh, it's there's nothing liberal. There's yeah. nothing liberal about it. And I think a lot of people in our movement would would be categorized as classically liberal as yeah. A, yeah. based on their views. Yeah. Well, there was another issue I had two nights, uh, two nights ago. I was invited to a debate. I prepared all day. And I and then they imposed a mask mandate. And I said, I'm not going to I can't go in there. I said, I'm campaigning against masks. You think I can walk into your debate with a with a face diaper on? I said, I can't do it. And so as a result, I didn't I wasn't allowed into the debate. So I said, OK, I've been can't help but think that was pretty intentional. Yeah. I know, I know. They knew I, right. I, they knew right and well you weren't going to wear one. Yeah. I know, I know. And you know what? I, I went down to the park with the people that showed up to watch the debate, and and they gave me the questions. There were great questions, and I wanted to be in that debate. I prepared for eight hours, ready to do that debate, and one of my answers was actually on masks. Anyway, I we went mm -hmm. down to the park. Rebel Media, Tamara Ugolini was there. She covered it, and uh, she posted the video. I think last night or this morning, she did an amazing job on it. Um, and, you know, I read the answers to the the thing and she got to interview people that were there and, and heard it. So, you know, I, I it's just um, the thing that bugged me about the debates. I only got invited to two debates at the very beginning and this one at the very end. The second one I couldn't go because I felt they were really violating my principles, and I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna cave to that. But the the thing is, all of those candidates never denounced the fact that me and the other registered Ontario Party candidates were not invited to their debates. And to me, that's an integrity issue against those. Mm -hmm. They they took an advantage, and they didn't cry foul when we didn't get invited to any of the other debates. They just took the advantage and were like, oh oh well, you know. To me, it's disgustingly disrespectful to the voters. I had an opportunity once I was asked if New Blue could come to something I was speaking at. They asked me what I thought. I said it would be very disrespectful to the voters if we didn't allow New Blue to speak or any of the other uniparty candidates. You, it's, a, it's an election. You've got to give people an opportunity to meet all the candidates so that the public can see who they want to best represent you or, or represent them. And... Uh, you know, it's it's such a perversion of democracy when the media and, and individuals and legacy candidates just do everything in their power to cheat. Yeah, and it, it is what's really scary in Ontario. And um, like I said, we've started to see a bit of a shift, and I, I'm hopeful with some of these candidates that are running for federal conservative. But our provincial conservative, it, it's very concerning because essentially, like you said, we have a uniparty. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 bad bad. Uh, worse and terrible like it's it's just it's hard to say uh who's um i guess you know some would argue that the maybe the conservatives are a little less bad um but uh there's there's very little evidence that yeah. they're going to be much better than um than anyone else yeah and uh and then everyone just gets scared about these alternative parties of oh, splitting the vote or oh, it's yeah. not going to make a difference and yeah. it's like well it's certainly not going to make a difference uh with that attitude um, but it, it is very concerning what we have in Ontario because yeah. we just have three slight variations on the same thing, which means, you yeah. know, that's yeah. the recipe yeah. for, <laughs> for dictatorship, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a very dangerous situation. So I do um, I use up a good chunk of your time here. So no. we'll start wrapping things up. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I do really encourage people to look at those alternative options yeah. 
um, if nothing else, then to you know send a strong message to to the government that uh, things need to change, yeah. uh, that people are are fed up, and uh, we don't want to have a province where there's essentially no choice, um, yeah. but uh, but a, a deeply uh, left wing government that wants to control your lives and yeah. uh, and mandate your lives, um, yeah. and yeah. Uh, we need to stand against that. Well, I got three I got, levels of sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I got a good I got a call from a friend of mine uh, today. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm bouncing around a little bit back to James, uh, his arrival and a uh, good friend of mine, Aaron Willick, who I went to high school with an elementary school. Uh, he's in Niagara Falls, uh, called me and said, you know, if, if people show up to support James on the 30th, everybody should show up with a sign saying, I am James. Like you imagine everybody showing up. Because James is the epitome of Canada. He's showing up. Right. And I think that's a great idea, actually, is to, to show up and say, you know, with a sign that says, I am James. I, I, I think it's great. I asked the other guys in the thing, and they're like, yep, that sounds pretty good to me. I don't know if James will go for it, but I think it's a great idea. So I'll, I'll be I imagine he wouldn't like it very much, but you, you yeah, could yeah, try. maybe you could convince him. Yeah. Yeah, could, yeah, that idea. And this is an issue that we face, is that people feel um, – Oh, it doesn't like when the mass mandates went down, they, yeah. they just move on because it doesn't affect yeah. them anymore personally. So they yeah. were upset when it affected them personally. Yeah. Uh, but then when it doesn't affect them personally, they move on. And that's, that's not principled. Uh, yeah. That's not yeah. a, a principled yeah. stand because if this issue bothered you, it should bother you when it's affecting and hurting someone yeah. else. Yeah. And so I, 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 I know it's easy when it directly affects you, but I encourage Canadians to see how this is still deeply affecting people. They're still off work. They're still uh, not getting paid. People are still being discriminated against on a regular basis. Yeah. And uh, our media is ignoring it. Our government's encouraging it. Yeah. And uh, this is not the Canada yeah. that any of us want. Yeah. Like Jim Carahalios and Derek Sloan and any of the other parties, their leaders never even got invited to the leaders' debates, which were covered, mm -hmm. you know, nationally. Didn't get invited. And, and, None of the other leaders spoke out about that because they don't care what the voters want as long as they take every advantage that they seek. And, and it's just such a disrespect to the, the democratic process. I don't, I don't get it. Like, why don't people clue into these little obvious things all the time? Well, I, I really appreciate you, you joining uh, me tonight and I definitely will have to get you on again. I feel like we could probably go for uh, several more hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll we'll catch up again soon. And it's so great to to hear from you. Yeah. And uh, to connect further. And thank you for all you did in Ottawa and taking that stand at Georgian College yeah. and uh, continuing to take a stand with Veterans for Freedom. Um, I am a big fan of Veterans for Freedom, obviously, and yes. I've been doing what I can to to promote you guys and support. I'm looking forward to going to Ottawa to live stream James Top's arrival and uh, looking forward to a great candidate there. And yeah. uh, guys, I encourage, uh, certainly if you're in uh, Tom's riding, uh, remind us you're riding in at Peterborough. Peterborough yeah. yeah. So Bridget, if you're in, uh, in London, yeah. uh, Vince Gersey uh, in, in, is in um, uh, Niagara uh, Center, I think. Uh, Dan Dale is, is in uh, Niagara and we've got a, a candidate in Niagara Falls as well. I know that because that's where my dad's from. So, yeah, I encourage you guys to check out uh, the Ontario Party. The vote is tomorrow. tomorrow. Uh, definitely encourage all Ontarians to get out and vote. 
Um, even if the, you know, there's some who feel they want to spoil a ballot because uh, they yeah. don't feel there's someone who can speak to them. I would, I, I think there's someone, there's always an option that's, uh, and certainly with uh, some of the alternative parties that we have in this election, there's yeah. always an option that's going to better represent you. Yeah. Uh, but at the very least, go spoil your ballot, make a statement known yeah. that uh, yeah. you're not happy with the state of things. So get out. Tomorrow's the election. Uh, Ontario Party uh, and uh, New Blue, I've had some of their people on. And uh, me and Tom both have friends in both parties and yeah. uh, are great options for um providing alternative to the uniparty <laughs> as yeah. we were calling it tonight. Yeah. So uh, thanks. Thanks again, Tom. And uh, I'm sure we'll connect soon. And yes. uh, if not, then definitely in Ottawa, yeah, we'll, we'll touch yes. base and yep. good. Are For you sure. doing a, are you doing a party there uh, tomorrow or where are you going to view the, uh, view uh, the election? yeah. So the, uh, the owners of Peter Burgers, uh, Roy and Nicole, uh, the most grossly misunderstood freedom fighters I've ever seen in any municipality. Um, again, that, that would go back to the, the despicable conduct of the mayor of Peterborough. Uh, they're actually going to host a big, big party uh, to thank all the supporters and everything like that. So I think I'm going to go there uh, and just watch it on the news and, and see how all this unfolds. So, you know, fingers crossed, toes crossed, legs crossed, everything. Uh, really hoping to pull out a win here. Yeah. Yeah. And I encourage people don't even uh, look at the uh, I, I've taken to just not looking at polls. Um, I look at the candidates and uh, yeah. and what I value and who I want to support because it's well, I mean, obviously, we don't trust uh, the, the, the media and yep. these they can be selective about what polls they choose. And um, I mean, honestly, I think there'd be a good argument to be made. That's a whole nother discussion about uh, even having a limit to how long polls can be published, because I do think yeah. it's inappropriate that these polls yeah. keep coming out right until hours before the election and say, hey, why don't you just leave the people alone and let them decide who they yeah. want to support? Yeah. But uh, anyway, ignore ignore the polls, uh, decide who you want to support and who represents you best. Look into your candidates and get out and vote tomorrow and encourage you to consider the Ontario Party. Uh, when you're looking at those options. So yeah. uh, thanks again, Tom. Uh, it's been great. Yeah. And Thank uh, you. we'll connect soon. Yeah. Yeah. Good and man. thanks. I was trying to read the comments. They're awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take care. Great. Well, uh, I'm going to sign off here um, pretty quick. Um, actually have a, have a friend over to, to, to hang out. So uh, <laughs> I won't keep my buddy waiting any longer. Um, but, uh, yeah, what a great chat. Um, good, um, catching up with Tom. Like I said, at the start, we hadn't really had time to get to know each other very well. We've, uh, worked on many of the same projects going all the way back to Ottawa, but, uh, never got a chance to talk. So really great to connect with him and hear his whole story. Uh, excited for the election tomorrow at my house, the election election nights were, were like the, uh, you know, the world series or, uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, Dad would always take me out to uh, a restaurant or somewhere that was showing the election, and we'd you know we'd cheer when our our person uh, was up, and then boo when <laughs> when uh, the competition uh, was up. And um, so, I encourage you guys to if you if you don't already follow politics, uh, I encourage you to start and take your kids out, um, watch it on the TV, explain to them uh, the importance of it, and uh, maybe your household won't get quite as excited about it as mine did uh, back in the day. But uh, one of the problems we face in this country, yes, there's the issue of the politicians, 
But ultimately, we are a democracy and the people's voice is very important. And we have a huge issue of just lack of engagement, people not voting or not looking at the options or not looking to the candidates and not running as candidates. And so, I mean, a big thank you to Tom and to all those who have stepped up to be candidates in this election, to have your life picked apart, to have your 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 name defaced by the media and by others. It's a big, uh, it's a big sacrifice, even before uh, you end up taking office. And, and certainly uh, office is a whole challenge in itself. And so I uh, appreciate those who stepped up, put their name forward. And it's important that Canadians understand uh, politics, understand how this works, because that's how we're going to see some, some major changes happen. So encourage you guys get out and uh, vote, encourage your freedom loving friends to go out and vote. Uh, support those candidates who are going to stand for stand for your rights and freedoms, um, and uh, we'll continue on this journey. I know it's been a grind, and it's. Uh, uh, I wish as much as anyone that uh, that we could just move forward. It's absolutely insane that we're still dealing with travel mandates, and uh, but but encouraging things are happening every day. I posted on on Twitter and elsewhere. You would have seen that the uh, CEO of uh, WestJet came out speaking against travel mandates. So really encouraging to see that uh, from him and uh, hopefully to see more people continuing to speak out. And as I talked about with Tom, these different documentaries that are coming out, books that are being written, uh, we are winning and uh, people are waking up and more people are acknowledging the, uh, the great atrocities that were committed over the lockdowns, the overreach of power by the government, which happened and continues to happen in Canada. And uh, we will continue to stand against that. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to be on with uh, a great YouTuber, uh, Jasper. You know him as Mr. Sunshine Baby. And uh, he does uh, a lot of coverage on these issues as well. If you don't already follow Mr. Sunshine Baby, I encourage you to check out him on YouTube and uh, has a lot of great uh, videos and uh, discussions about uh, these various issues. And uh, he's someone who's been covering the freedom movement quite extensively as well. So he's going to be on tomorrow to share his story. And uh, then actually this weekend, I'm going to go meet up with Walter Hoffman. Uh, I had uh, Walter on here for a show a while back, and he's been training to join James Topps. He's 70 years old. He started um, marching back in March and has been working up to the point of now he's been doing, uh, he hit 50 kilometers a couple day and he did a, did a whole week of 40 kilometers a day. And his goal is to be able to march with James Top from Sudbury all the way to Ottawa. So there's actually an event for him. Actually, I'll just bring that up here quickly for you. Uh, so you can see it's, um, I'm going to share it out on our socials as well. But uh, so Walter, let me zoom in there. Walter's 70 years old and started marching in March to train himself to walk with James Top from Sudbury to Ottawa, our Ontario Marcher for Freedom. This Saturday, Walter will have walked 1,100 kilometers and will be leaving for Sudbury shortly. Please come and support Walter. Show him that we love him and support him and together with him on his journey. So there is a group meeting up at 9.45 a.m. at the Aldershot Go Station in Burlington, 9.45 a.m. on Saturday at the Aldershot Go Station. And they are going to um, convoy together with uh, Walter and join in him for part of his march and support him. Uh, so encourage you guys, if you're in that area, 
come on out. If not, you can tune in here live. I'm going to be covering that Saturday morning and uh, seeing Walter Hoffman do his last kilometers to hit the 1100 kilometer mark and uh, and meet with some supporters and it should be uh, a good site. So uh, you can tune in for that on Saturday and then definitely mark your calendars for James Topps arrival June 30th in Ottawa. Veterans for Freedom is heading that up. Going to have a great celebration for James Topps arrival and details of that will be coming out very soon. I've been told by Veterans for Freedom that uh, the plans are just getting finalized. Going to be great. I also released the, uh, there's an email address to RSVP for, there is an after party by Freedom Through Unity in Ottawa for the Canada Day weekend. So if you want to camp in Canada Day, uh, I know there's a few places that are going to be offering it, but uh, the one that uh, I'm going to be at is at um, near Richmond and the location will be released later on. But there is an email address that you can get on the post on our YouTube Facebook, YouTube community page, Facebook, and Instagram. And there's an email address you can RSVP to reserve a spot for your trailer or tent if you'd like a place to camp for the Canada Day weekend. That's an option for you. That's going to be a, a great event as well. Really looking forward to the Canada Day weekend and the arrival of James Top. So get to Ottawa by, uh, I would suggest, early June 30th or the 29th of June. And it's going to be a great weekend there with James Top and Canada Day, of course. So I will keep you guys updated on that. And I will see you tomorrow uh, with Mr. Sunshine Baby tomorrow evening, 7 o'clock. And uh, we'll see you then. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. Uh, have a great night. Keep hauling.